Hey everyone, welcome to Game Face episode 91, the E3 hangover episode. And there's no hangover worse than an E3 hangover, but I think we scraped together a pretty good show for you guys today. Uh, the first gameplay came out for Beyond Good and Evil 2 this week. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about Housemark's new twin stick shooter, Nex Machina. And E3 is a huge show. I think we curated, ended up curating over 900 pieces of content to the site. Inevitably, you're going to miss some big games. And Matt and I are going to pick two that you guys should keep your eye on. Let's go. So here we are, Matt, after the big come down. Because the schedule dictates it. Yeah. <laughs> I will say it was tough putting together a show this week. It's been, uh, this week has basically just been exhaust of E3. It has, basically. yeah. I looked at other podcasts and video casts and they were struggling too. So we're not mm -hmm. alone in our struggle for this week. Um, now that you've had a week to kind of settle in, what are your overall impressions of the show? We never ever announced who we thought the winners of E3 were overall. Mm. So we maybe we'll do that here right off the top of the show. Um... Man, I mean, probably Yubi, um, just because I think they showed the most interesting stuff. Although a bunch of the yeah, stuff I mean, we, we picked we best may press, even press see. conference basically. Ubisoft um, got the highest grades yeah. for both of us, and uh, like Sony did. I mean, it's like how about of the three show, platform holders? Uh, three platform holders. I. It's tough. I mean, like I'd probably give it to Sony just because they have the strongest lineup. Uh, overall in terms of multiple things but like public sentiment seems to dictate nintendo um and even you got the I, new hardware with xbox yeah even though i wasn't too impressed by the nintendo presentation outside of metroid 3ds yeah because uh, they showed up I, mean, I know they say that metroid and, and pokemon are next year but uh, i'll believe that when i have xenoblade 2 in my hands this year right um i know just like every all three of the majors just kind of felt like well just wait <laughs> just hang on. Well, God, actually, like this, Sony this, this year was not on so much in the you're going to have to wait phase. Somewhat it actually just showed all games that are coming out in a reasonable time. Yeah, frame. within a year, but I just feel like, you know, once you go past the, the, you know, the end of 2017 boundary, I'm waiting. Yeah. And the stuff I really want to play from Sony is all 2018. Yeah. Um, I was kind of hoping we get at least one of the things I'm really excited about this year, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, it's tough. <clears throat> Man, I honestly teeter between Sony and Nintendo. Because Nintendo did mm -hmm. debut a lot of new games. Yeah, whether you care about Kirby and whether right. you care about Yoshi or not. That's... Although, again, that's next year. It's like, that's the problem. Is like Sony, Sony doesn't really excite me too much this fall. But, like, their, 20, their early 2018 looks like it's going to be amazing, again. Um, whereas Nintendo looks like 2018 might be something of a desert. But their end of 2017 is... Like better than anybody else's right now. Just basically on the back of the Metroid game and Mario. It's hard to give Microsoft much love when you're talking about this because their most... launch game is Crackdown. What are you gonna? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I know Forza is gonna be there already, but it's right. like the game they're launching with the system is Crackdown Three, and it just feels like. Well, most of the impressive mm. games it showed in its press conference are third-party games that yeah. are coming to other platforms. I mean, there really weren't any truly intriguing exclusives there, so. Man, I mean, I would probably give it to Sony mm -hmm. um, because if I just look at that lineup that Sony showed, it is it's, it includes a lot more games that I'm excited to play. I'm mm -hmm. not a big Yoshi fan. I'm not a big Kirby yeah. fan. Mario looks great, but mm -hmm. 
But to me, essentially, it was another one-game E3 for Nintendo. And look, it, Mario, Super Mario Odyssey will probably end up being a Game of the Year contender. If I had to put my money on it, I would say it probably will be. Um, and so you're looking I'd, at... I'd say it's going to be whether it deserves it or not. Right, yeah. <laughs> but but you're looking at two games from Nintendo in one year that are Game of the Year worthy, which we never really get from Nintendo. It mm-hmm. typically stretches out its big releases. Yeah, it is nice to see them kind of acknowledging that they need to stack the deck a little better these yeah. days. Like, you know, any any previous Nintendo and any previous system would never have released those two games in the same year. Although yeah. they are being released in separate fiscal years. Right. So that kind of counts. Yeah, yeah, I guess they're fudging it a little yeah. bit there because <laughs> it's all about fiscal quarters mm-hmm. for a company. So overall, what kind of a letter grade would you give E3 2017, Matt? Um, like in terms of like if I was watching, kind of just watching it in terms of content, I think I'd probably give it like a B minus. Yeah. Um, being there would probably drop it to a C. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very difficult show to be there pre- physically present for. Yeah, and but I think it's going to get worse next year, by the way. I think so. But just in term of, terms of like what was shown and what we kind of learned and what we can can look forward to, I think B minus. It was it was a it was a it was a dip year. It was a lull year. We ha- you have yeah. those in the middle of generations periodically where everybody's got to kind of clear the board of what. No, this is the year where it happens. Yeah, this is when it happens. This is and when like, all these games have been announced to get people excited, and now it's just a matter of waiting for them to, to come, come out. out. Um, I would actually give it a little bit of a higher score. I'd probably give it like a B plus um, overall because I feel like one, there was a lot of games on the show for to, to play. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the big games that are a part of the show, they're at a stage now where they are playable and playable for the general public, and the publishers are okay with it. So I feel like as far as what you're able to play on the show floor, it was a great selection this year across all genres. Um, and I feel like developers are starting to hit their stride with the hardware now. Uh, they pretty much settled in with the optimal performance they can get out of these machines. And I think we're starting to see it in the consistent quality of the games across the board. Mm-hmm. So um, I give it a B plus because I feel like this is the one year where it was all about the games you are going to be playing. And hey, you can play them now versus here's all these pie in the sky announcements. God knows when we're going to see these games a la Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VII Remake. Kingdom Hearts 3, that type of stuff. I feel like it was really bereft of that type of thing. Yeah. So I mean, I do like Pie in the Sky announcements now and then. Yeah, it gets like, you excited. I mean, Metroid Prime Metroid 4 Prime was 4 one of those. That. Although, again, like, Metroid Prime 4 did not blow me out of the water because, A, I, maybe because you kept saying, it's, you're thinking it's coming forever, but, like, it's just, like, when I see, like, it's like, oh, we're doing Kingdom Hearts 3, or we're doing Shenmue 3 Kickstarter, or something now, like, there, there's, there feels, it, it feels like, oh, wow, like, this thing we never thought might happen is finally happening, whereas yeah. Metroid Prime 4, it's like, I know you're bringing Metroid back at some point. Get on with it. It's like, but did you? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are really starting to wonder if Nintendo had just kind of bailed on yeah, the IP. N- Nintendo never bails on an IP forever. Well, we, yeah, we I mean, it's been 10 damn fan-wise, years. Fan-wise, I mean, Nintendo was getting slagged for the last several years for how it had been treating Metroid, and then this well, year they it deserve really answered. It. You're right, but then this year it really answers that call by with a Metroid True remake for 3DS and Metroid mm-hmm. Prime 4. So, yeah, I would give it to Sony. I give the overall show a B+. Um, I'm all about being able to play stuff, and I'm sure the 15,000 fans that got into E3 this year were appreciative to be actually actually be able to play stuff mm-hmm. that they're, they're excited for. And, and some new like, stuff, too. And it sounds like if you go next year, uh, uh, don't skip Thursday. Yeah. A lot of people seem like the, even or public, please skip Thursday. Or please skip Thursday, yeah. But like <laughs> I got everything done on Thursday. It's like I played everything I wanted on that day. Like no was, problem. Yeah, but it wasn't nearly as bad. Like the first day was nightmarish. No, first, I mean the first, first day was San Diego Comic Con yeah, level. It was. And 
at Cinto. I, I thought it would still be crowded on Thursday, but uh, it still it was. was crowded. It was more crowded than the last two years for yeah. sure. But it wasn't like impossible to manage uh, the way the previous two days were. And I thought that was interesting because it was like you know sure like executives and people go home after Wednesday, but I, yeah. I thought the public would still be filling the hall and they just weren't. Well, oddly enough, we put up our E3 show floor walkthrough that we do every year, and a lot of the people were commenting. They're like, "When did you shoot this? Was this shot on Thursday? Because that still looks insane to me." Mm-hmm. Um, so they <laughs> right. had no idea. You, yeah, you didn't see Tuesday. Yeah, Ooh, boy. it was really crazy. So I think part of it too. Didn't they sell tickets like daily tickets for fans? Like you had to pay by day. Or did you pay one amount and get in for the whole I show? I, th- I thought it was one for the whole show, but oh, okay. I don't remember. I didn't look at that page very Yeah, because I'm wondering if it was daily, if a lot of people just went the first day, saw what they wanted to see, said, damn, I just spent a lot of money, and like never went back. I mean, that's probably what I would have done. Yeah. It's like, there's not really that much to see and do. If they here's a, here's a pro tip, though. If they do offer daily passes next year, get your daily pass for Thursday. Yeah. Because you, you get to see so day. much more. Yeah. yeah. And I know people get excited. They want to be the, the first see the to first see stuff. But be there really... Nintendo runs out of hats or right. whatever. But, but like, they had hats on Thursday. Yeah, Nintendo yeah. doesn't really run out. That, that used to be a problem in the old days, but yeah. when, when people weren't really aware of how fast the thing was growing... Um, now I don't. You rarely see them. Anybody run out of swag anymore. Yeah. If they if they are in five companies that are giving anything away. Yeah. Um, uh, the other the other uh, place I, I didn't actually get up to CD Projekt Red. Uh, usually they have a. Good I didn't even know that they had anything there. Oh, they're always up there. Uh, up up in. Oh, the, you mean in the meeting rooms? The meeting rooms. Yeah. Um, up the escalators. Uh, I figured they were there doing Gwent, but I just never got up there. Yeah. Well, they didn't show Cyberpunk, which is what everyone no. cares about. Yeah. So and now the whole game's been leaked. <laughs> Nothing ever yeah. came out of that, by the way. Yeah. Never heard any more news about that, about that blackmail. So. Biding their time. Or maybe they're, they paid. That could be, too. That could be, too. So that's E3 2017. Hope you guys liked our coverage on Sifted. I worked like a maniac. I can promise you that. Uh, I finally feel like I'm a human being again. Hmm. It took a while, though, man. It took me like four days to kind of get back up to speed after the show. Uh, but hope you guys were all happy with the coverage. Hope you guys were ultimately happy with the games that were shown and the show itself. So let's get on with the show proper. So one of the bigger games we talked about from E3 2017 was Beyond Good and Evil 2, a game that we've been waiting 15 years for. Mm-hmm. Michelle Ansel's been waiting 15 years to uh, to get the game out there, at least show it to people publicly. There's been some leaks and things like that that have come out from it. Um, I think you skipped something. Oh, I did. In fact, <laughs> I skipped the thing I want to talk about the most. <laughs> so it's been a slow week of game releases. Get Even came out. For, uh, from Bandai Namco, which is a first-person shooter that was shrouded in mystery. They never really showed it. We figured out why they didn't show it, because it's been getting terrible reviews. But there's one other little game that came out this week that I absolutely adore. It is called Next Machina. It is the next game from Housemark. Actually, it isn't the next game from Housemark after Rezogun, but it is sort of the spiritual successor to Rezogun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like Rezogun and Robotron mixed together. Yeah, well, I would say Rezogun is very reminiscent of Defender, right? while Ro- uh, Nex Machina is Robotron. But there are elements from Rezogun in Nex Machina. Yeah, but there's elements. those elements are in all of Housemarque's games. Right. Like that's that's just kind sort of, of their its signature trademark. trademark. It's a Saving tw- the humans. Twin, twin stick shooter where you save humans and blow up voxels. Yeah. Like that's basically what this is. Also, the bad guys use purple. Yeah. There's a lot of purple. <laughs> purple is bad in Housemarque world. And I'm sure a lot of people are wondering why I'm so excited about this game. Because really, at this point, twin stick shooters are like a dime a dozen. Like, it seems like one-third of, a, of mm-hmm. every indie studio is creating a twin stick shooter 
but this one, there's something special yeah, about it. Yeah, this one's really got something going on. Uh, part of it, it might be that they brought in Eugene Jarvis, who created Defender and, right. and Robotron, um, to work on it, and that guy still pretty much got it. Uh, but it's also just, it's really fast, it's really hard, it looks really nice, and like there's just, it, I think the word I'd use for it is satisfying. Oh yeah. Like it's just, it's everything you do from moment to moment and also on a macro level is just really satisfying. And what I love about it is how it's broken up into these little tiny chunks. So if, mm -hmm. you, if you guys watch this gameplay, so basically each area is just like the size of a city block. And yep, you have to basically clear all the enemies out of that. What do they call them? Are they chapters? Are they stages? Stages or zones or something. Yeah. Like so you have to clear all the enemies out of that stage or zone and try to rescue as many humans as you can while you're doing that. And uh, once you do that, you get what you just saw right there. You kind of teleport on to the next one. And if you die on any stage, you don't go all the way back to the beginning. You restart that stage. And the way the difficulties are split up, it's not really. They don't really change how hard the game is or how many enemies are spawned or per stage. It's all gated by how many continues you have, essentially. Mm -hmm. And speed. And speed, the, yeah. the enemies move much, much faster as you move up in difficulty. Yep, so like the easy difficulty is unlimited continues. It's kind of like you're playing an arcade game. Yeah. Um, and the middle difficulty, you get 99 continues or 100 continues. 99, yeah. 99. And then in the hardest difficulty, you just get 10 continues. 10. And then there's another one you unlock after that, and I think you get three. Oh, God. <laughs> now, I've, I've finished easy with one continue. Wow, um, really? Which, because it was, uh, it was it's That's not easy. That's amazing. E it's not easy. I'm pretty good at these games. I'm not, it's not easy. I used to love Robotron. Yeah. And Smash So did more. I, yeah. Uh, it is not easy, even on easy. Because, um, like, part of it is because I kept getting extra lives and stuff, but, like, uh, it was, it's intense. Like, it does not stop. You get it. What I love about this game is you get in a zone. Yeah. Like, my wife was watching me play this, and she was blown away. She was like, oh my god, how are you dodging that stuff? And you just mm -hmm. get into this zone in this game where you just learn, your, it's like this sixth sense that you have. Where you can just learn to time the attacks and manage the mobs and... Mm -hmm. um, I am having a blast playing this game. I also man. really like that it does a good job, like in in an old school way of teaching you how everything works without popping text up on the screen. Like, yeah, I mean that was maybe one criticism I do have is that you kind of learn a lot of the intricacies of the game on the fly and by failing. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you're but, right, most of like it that. is done really well. Um, but sometimes, like you just, I don't, cannot believe you did not die, dude. That's insane because they throw stuff at you that basically is just like instant kill. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, the until thing... you learn like what you need to do, like they'll introduce like a new enemy type or like a new laser type mm -hmm. or whatever, and it's like it just kills you instantly, and it becomes this process of like learn figuring out what you need to do for the next like five or six tries right. to but, like, get around that new type. But the like the basically the dash. Um, yeah, it saves your ass because the, <laughs> the dash makes you invincible. You can dash through anything. Right. Um, so as long as you're ready with that. Uh, and early on, I did die a few times because I kept wanting to be on the other trigger. Yeah. Um, and you can get a, a triple dash power-up that lets you yeah. kind of, like, dart around really and well. you get so a dash, ex explo exploding dash, where you dash and mm -hmm. it just blows up everything around you. But it's just like, uh, you know, and, and some, of the, some of the special weapons are more useful than others. Uh, so you, you learn that. And uh, Yeah, there's so just to go over the controls, there's, it's a twin-stick shooter. So you move with the left stick, mm -hmm. shoot with the right stick with your normal blaster, which you can get a spread... For that, you can get a higher fire rate for that. 
And then there's just two buttons. There's the dash button on the left shoulder, and then there's the special weapon button on the right shoulder. Mm -hmm. And there's, what, five or six special weapons? At least. It's like, Power Shot is the one right there. That's the one I use the most. Uh, rocket Launcher is also very good. There's a sword. There's a, like smart a time bomb. smart bomb thing. There's... Um, uh, I think that's... I might, that's pretty close Yeah, I think there's like five or six, yeah. yeah. Um, and each one is valid and has its strengths and weaknesses. The only one I don't really find much value in is the sword. Yeah, the sword isn't useful. My, my two go-tos are the, um, the, the power shot and the rocket launcher. Yeah, me too. Yeah, the rocket launcher is really effective. And once you get through, I don't know, what is it? Probably like 10 or 15 stages, you get to a boss fight. Mm -hmm. uh, the boss fights, this is the first one that you actually tackle, um, are pretty inventive and fun. Uh, it's pretty. Mm -hmm. It really tests your metal to kind of navigate the bullet hell stuff while yeah, you're trying to attack a boss at the same time. They're also time. very good. At, at, uh, the bosses are good at about being. Uh, they use what you've learned in that world, right? Uh, yep. And kind of put it all together into into one enemy. Uh, the only one uh, that I had, like the first, I don't think I died on any of the bosses till the fourth one. Which was uh, I died in the second one a ton. Something prime. I it's started a, it's, it's on a the robot. middle difficulty. Though. I never even played the easy one. It's a it's a robot of some kind, and uh, the second one's a robot. Yeah, but well, they're all robots. I but like, you're right. <laughs> but the the fourth one is like this boss, something Emirate Emirate Prime or Emirate something like that, and he just had some patterns that I could not figure out. On yeah. the first, and luckily, I had like six lives, so I just sort of like I kind of like brute force my way yeah, through yeah. it, but like. Uh, that was, that's a tough, tough fight, even on the easy difficulty. I played on medium. I never even tried. I haven't even tried easy yet. And the second boss, I literally fought him twenty or thirty times before I beat him. Well, um, I got. I didn't try the the, the regular because like the, the game actually says like play it on this one first. Like, oh really? Yeah. Like, if you look at the descriptions, they're like normal's for if you know how everything works already. Yeah. Um, but once but, I got into the groove, I thought normal was perfectly yeah. balanced. Like, normal's I, probably about where you where you would be because I like I said easy's a little too easy for, yeah. for some if you know how these games work. Uh -huh. um, so it's probably it's, if you're a if you're a Robotron or a Smash TV or a Total Carnage veteran, uh, you're probably good starting on normal. Yep, and as you can see, voxels are a big part of the visuals in this game. Things explode into these very satisfying mm. groups of little pixels. Uh, which is also a housemark trademark. I think that it puts voxels in pretty much every game that it makes. Um, this game is freaking awesome. I didn't buy it. They sent it to me. How much is this retail format? Um, fifteen, I think. Wow. I if fifteen dollars, I highly recommend. Or maybe this game. I bought that for maybe it was fifteen because of the Steam sale or the the launch price. I got it on on Steam. Um, the one so it's either fifteen is, or twenty. I don't remember. Okay, e at either of those prices, I recommend buying this game. Um, the one thing I will say is the lack of online play is really disappointing. Yeah, two player co op would be fun on this. Yeah, it would. And of course, you have to rebalance the whole game and do a lot of work. I'm guessing that comes along as DLC at some point, and hopefully free DLC or the sequel. That would really suck. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this game screams for uh, co op, in my opinion, anyway. Um, but other than that, I really have no complaints. It play, it runs at a crazy frame rate. Uh, you never blame the game when you die. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes you, it's a little hard to see the geometry of the ground that you're capable of moving on. Yeah, there's a couple, but you learn how that kind because of sometimes works. it's some it, the ground is so covered with enemies and bullets that you cannot see the ground, mm -hmm. and in that and sometimes you'll get snagged on something and get caught and die, but. Even on the medium difficulty, having 99 retries, like I played it for 
four. I started over and played it for like four hours last night, and I my retries were only down to like eighty or something. Mm-hmm. Because you also find extra lives as you play through the game. Yeah, I think ninety nine is more than enough to get through normal yeah. for your average player. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I am loving this game. It is my. This may be my favorite twin stick shooter that I've played since like Geometry Wars. And this is very much like you know to, to Robotron what Geometry Wars is to like Asteroids. Yeah. Or what Resogun was to Defender. It's these guys are really good at taking like a classic arcade game and making it something that feels like it fits today. Yep, for sure. But still has that like old school like classic feel to to how it plays. There's like the voxel porn yeah. right there. You <laughs> blow up the boss. Um, I cannot recommend this game any higher really mm-hmm. um it's been getting nines and tens totally deserves it yeah I, I, I came at it and kind of like a oh that looks cool all right i'll try that and i was like wow you know i was I mean? getting hyped for it i mean i knew out, it but... was going to be good because who made it yeah. already but like it's it just feels good it's hard watching it doesn't really get it across in, 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 as much as getting your hands on it it just feels great and it's fun mm-hmm. and it never lets up and when you when you Finish a level that you've been having trouble with. the time with. just goes. It really does. Yeah, it, it whips on by. When you finally beat that boss, that feeling of accomplishment you get's great. Um, I'm really loving it. Yeah. And I, I, I have I, a feeling if you pick this up on our recommendation, I don't think any of you are going to come back and hate us for it. Yeah, as long as you like that kind of gameplay, like this is about as good as it gets. Yeah, you know what it is. We told you it's really good, and now you should go buy it. So, all right, let's move on. Now we're going to talk about what I tried to promo before. We're going to talk about Beyond Good and Evil 2. Uh, the first gameplay demo that was shown at E3 behind closed doors for the press has finally been released to the public. Anybody can watch it. It's curated on Sifted right now if you want to watch the whole thing. But we do have B-roll of all of it that we're going to run during our discussion here, so you'll get to see most of it. Uh, Matt, what was your first impression when you finished watching that tech demo? Um, like, I had a little bit of flashback of, uh, like, the No Man's Sky thing, yeah, where I was like, sure. oh, cool, fly around planets and solar systems. Like, the scale of it is really cool. Um, like, it's, it's, I mean, while maybe it's not what I would want a sequel to Beyond Good and Evil necessarily to be, it's certainly a game I want to play. Yeah. That would be my, my first impression. It would be like, wow, I didn't expect this is what Beyond Good and Evil 2 would be, but I'll take it. My first impression was... This game is a long ways off. This as well. <laughs> oh my god! Um, I believe dude. they said that this demo didn't even have graphics until about two weeks from before E3. Yeah, I mean they literally just started on this game. I mean, when you say tech demo, this is a tech demo. Yeah. This is like back when you'd go into like the Epic booth at GDC in the early 2000s. <laughs> they'd, they'd show you like a render of, of like a locust head and then claim it wasn't a game. Right. You know, like yeah. they were working on the gear, all the gear. They showed they showed Gears of War stuff for years. It's like a lot of the stuff before they, they admitted it was an actual GDC, game. GDC actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's very it reminds GDC. me of uh, this game is not coming out for like three years. One because it's so early, and two if you listen to what Michelle Ansel says during this, it is so ambitious. Super ambitious, and they still don't seem to quite know what it is. Yeah. Like, the game's not there yet. No, like, the ideas not. are there, and they've got some tech stuff working, and you can fly around as a monkey in a jetpack, which is always a good thing to be able to say. Yeah. But uh, anything can be improved by a monkey in a jetpack, really. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's really the one thing Next Machin is missing. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> like, the, the, clearly, like, there's nothing to do in here yet. It's just like, here's what you'll be doing in a really basic kind of moment-to-moment gameplay level, probably, if we get it to work. Like, I'm really shocked that they showed it in this state. 
I almost feel like the only reason they did was that they could maybe be considered for Best of E3 awards because that's like the caveat with the journalists. Like, mm. it has to be playable. You have to be able to hand the controller to me, and I have to be able to manipulate the game myself. Yeah, see, and I, this satisfies those conditions. See, I have a, I have a different take on Perspective that. of playable? No, well, also, <laughs> I, I have a different take on why they did. I think they're blowing out everything they have on this game because they think they might never get to show it again. That could be. Like, I think, I, fe I feel a lot of, like, wariness of the Vivendi takeover, like, looming in, in showing so. these things. Just because, like, you know, if I'm Michelle Ancel and I've been, like, you know, working on this off and on for 15 years... Yeah, I'm gonna want to like basically be like, hey, we tried. You know, that's basically what you're saying here is like, it's not just teasing you and saying like, hey, this thing you want to play is finally coming out, maybe someday, eventually. It's also saying like, hey, we were working on this. like, if if we all go away in a few months, it was legit. We were trying to, right. give, you, to give you this. It wasn't a big point. charade, right? <laughs> but this game, I mean, if it comes out at all, it's coming out like end of the generation. Like oh yeah, this very is this end. is like. If we see this in 2020, it will be a very smooth development cycle. I will say, though, the things that he says about the game, what their design goals are for it, it sounds incredible. Oh, yeah. If they uh, ever... Almost the literal definition of incredible, which yeah. is unbelievable. Unbelievable, <laughs> yeah, like... yeah. I mean, it's like a GTA that takes place yeah. across, like, galaxies. Yeah, and like, you always got to remember that when GTA 3 was first described in magazine articles, that sounded unbelievable, it did. too. yeah. And there it was. It yeah. Was right, you know, so you know, if anyone can pull it off, it's him. Uh, and I do love this part where he lands on the statue and then pulls and way shows out. the scale. Yeah. Um, th this is like this scale is very important. I'm a big fan of scale and scope in yeah. these modern games, where like where the engines allow you to do this kind of thing. Uh, and like this, I, I find this really impressive what he does. Well, there's also that massive city down oh, the below that's being too, yeah. rendered while this is happening. The, the question just becomes like. You know, sort of similar to the No Man's Sky question. Can you fill this world with yeah. <laughs> enough for me to do and be interested in to make it worthwhile? Yeah, like, because... I, I love looking at that, but now i got to play a game. Yeah, I mean, but if you look at a game like No Man's Sky, and sort what of the... didn't right. succeed in doing that. Right, because it was just basically empty planets with very little to do or see. And then you look at a game like this, where it has this up in the mm -hmm. sky, and then this massive metropolis down below... Um, I mean, that's a good start. If this yeah. is one world out of 10 or 15 and or whatever. there's more stuff back, you know, more structures. Yeah, way back. Way back. I mean, look at that. <laughs> it's, it's impressive, but it's just a tech demo right now. So were you uh, pleasantly surprised by this, or was this what you expected it to be? It's not what I expected it to be at all, but I'm, you know, anything that involves like massive-scale space travel, uh, especially in the context of you know this kind of... Uh, that French surrealist sort of comic uh, meshing of manga and, and kind of you know Verne era science fiction that like that that seems to be only from France. Like I don't know, it's just it, you know Valerian and the City of, the, of a Thousand Planets is like that too. I love that aesthetic and the idea that you'd make you know and, and one of the coolest things about that aesthetic is these weird worlds and these strange places that you never would have you know imagined yourself or thought thought to even you know consider and if they're going to deliver a bunch of planets like that in this game like awesome like you know i'm in immediately think we'll ever see it no no <laughs> so, so you, you're pretty convinced that vivendi is going to take over ubisoft um i give it a i give it pretty good odds at this point like i i you know i'm not a ma i mean i'm no business genius um but all the signs are there and uh 
you know, while I'd like to think that this strong showing they had at E3 might be able to convince their shareholders like not to do that, shareholders don't really care they about really that. Don't. They just want to know what's going to make them the most money. And in the short term, the Vivendi takeover will probably make a lot of them a lot of money. It will, and that's yeah. simply going to be what's on their mind. Not whether this game that may or may not come out in three to four years is going to be a lot of fun for me to play. Yeah, because stockholders... It's like you said, they, they don't really care about games. No, they don't care about what <laughs> the company ga- makes. Most of them are not gamers. They don't care about what the company makes. They care about what the company makes. Right. If, you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, it's, uh, and so, yeah, you, just because I'm invest- investing in a particular company does not mean I am in all invested in what they, they're doing or what they're putting out. I just want them to make me money. Yeah. And if Vendi coming in and ruining everything is going to make more money in the short term, what do I care as a stockholder? And I mean, the irony is the excellent showing that Ubisoft had is just going to increase the, yeah, yeah, the profit goes for that it. stockholders yeah. will make because yeah. people are going to say, oh, they have all these great... And a lot of stock investors don't really get the industry. They don't realize, yeah, that's great, but what happens when Michelle Ansel leaves? Right. Because you bought the company he's worked for pretty much his entire Well, at that career. point, they've already sold off what they had and made their money, and they're on to the next thing. Right. That's the that's how it works. I mean, then, and it sucks because it leaves it leaves wreckage behind, and in this case, it's going to leave wrecked art behind. I mean, think about know? how many studios Ubisoft has now. Yeah. I mean, they have studios pretty much on every continent at this point, and in yep. some continents, multiple studios. It, employ thousands of people, thou- are, tens of thousands. And if this is, you know, if this goes through, it's going to be bad news for a, a horrifying percentage of the industry. Yeah, I mean, be. a lot of people are going to, you know, be looking for work after this, probably. And they'll find it. They I will mean, find it. I think they're very talented. So. But it's uh, it's a shame because there's a lot of good ideas in Ubisoft, and, and you know, Ubisoft for all the the heat they take, I think they do care about what they make. I think a, a company that didn't care would have just kept pumping out. Assassin's Creed's without kind of going back to the drawing board like they've done with the Origins. Um, it's a it's a publisher with sort of a family touch to it. It, it doesn't does feel corporate that. at all, uh, even we, though it probably is. Sometimes, and, <laughs> yeah, it is, and and of course sometimes the games feel a little corporate. Yeah, uh, you know, for there, sure. There's a, once they find something, I mean. Somebody in UB, UB France really loves the whole climbing towers to open the map right, thing because yeah. that is just... <laughs> That's what they do. I'm wondering what you're going to climb in Far Cry 5 at this point. Trees, yeah. bell towers, like what do you got? No, it is. They're like yeah. ta- they're like almost like sniper towers. Sniper tra- yeah. yeah. Like crow's nests. They're, yeah, they already yeah. showed some footage of that where a whole demo where they're just sniping right. from a crow's nest, so... But I don't know if it actually opens up, like... I know, it doesn't open up the world in uh, Assassin's Creed anymore, or at least it doesn't reveal a map. It, right. Um, I guess it reveals, like, points of interest, but you still have to go to them to find out what they are. Yep. So, man, I hope we end up seeing it. I, I'm a little more positive that we might actually see this game. Well, like, even if Eventy doesn't what, do that, like, you, there's still a good chance we never, never see this see game. It. No, it's you're like, right. You know, you're absolutely right. Like, I think it's 50-50 whether this game ever comes out. Mm-hmm. And you're probably a little lower than that, I'm guessing. Definitely, but I'd rather believe you. It's, it's better than zero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, because what we, they've shown is pretty... Pretty auspicious. Like, right. it, it literally is pointing to something that could be really incredible and could actually change open-world games forever. But, man, that's a lot of work still left to go yeah. on that and thing. Then of course and who knows where... You wonder about the, the meeting for this, where it's like, all right, so uh, where's the games' as platform angle? Right. You're like, mm, And, like, you kind of had, like, a little thing of that in the presentation where they're like, 
oh, it'll be multiplayer if you want it to be kind of thing. Yeah. And like, it's just like, mm, man, I sure wish this was a single player fucking like, open. Yeah, game. I mean, look, Rockstar found a way to do it with Grand Theft Auto. Mm. It's making money hand over fist on GTA Online, so. True. I mean, there is a way to separate those two things in this game. There is a way to... There's also a big you know, difference. Just like GTA Five did, like you know, use the same assets to create basically two separate games. Yeah. One to get you in the first place, and the other to keep you playing for a couple of years. It's going to need ground-based vehicles, though. You're and not it's, gonna yeah, work well, and it's ships. also going to need gameplay. I mean, right. like, you're going to need. I mean, which we've seen. Yeah, it looks, but like they've shown gameplay from Beyond Good and Evil two years ago. Yeah, I, I'm shocked that I mean, they, it appears that they've just completely scrapped everything. Yeah, that I don't think on. that game we saw where Jade's running around rooftops and yeah. stuff. I don't think that game doesn't seem like it exists. Anymore. No, That's, I mean, because it was Jade for yeah. one. Unless, I mean, we don't know how far this you know starts starts in the past. Right. We don't know how far that goes. You know, it would be a little weird for an open world game to jump time period so drastically. Assassin's it? Creed does that all the time. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Assassin's Creed covers 50, 60 years sometimes. Yeah, but they do it kind of in a different way. They though. do little jumps, but like yeah. you see that you know the cities change and the cities you know you're in different areas sometimes. Yeah, like, it can be done. Also, it's a challenge. Uh, they, yeah, but clear, you look at this demo; they are not afraid of challenge. No. So. <laughs> I wish them luck. I hope we end up seeing it because I think it could oh, be really, it. something really special. Not but. seeing it would almost be almost be worse knowing about it. Yeah, you know, if it never comes out, I'd almost never have wanted to know it it existed at all. Yeah, because between the trailer that we're seeing now, which I'm completely enraptured by, and again, I'm really shocked at some of the negative response to the change in tone. Some people are angry that it's like M rated and gritty, whereas the other games weren't. Um, I think the other game was T teen rated. I feel, I feel like it was T, um, but it was pretty benign. Yeah, the first I just, game. I you know, but it also didn't deal in the you know. Jade didn't run in the circles that these guys do. Right. So I'm sure, you know, even though Beyond Good and Evil 1 was rated T, I'm sure somewhere in that world somebody was saying fuck. Yeah. It's, it's, it's gonna <laughs> they just happen. weren't on camera. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, hopefully this isn't the last time we talk about it. It's, look, it's going to go way underground here for maybe next E3. We see them provided what happens with Vivendi, but... I mean, this really might be the last look we we get at this game for maybe ever, <laughs> sadly. Yeah. Uh, so we wanted to talk about it and uh, get it on your radar in case you guys missed it. I know a lot of people after E3, uh, they take a break from games. I, we can see it in our traffic this week. Our traffic was mm. was pretty low, uh, particularly compared to E3, which is our busiest traffic week of, of the year so far. So um, a lot of people, they're like, okay, I get it. After E3, there's, they don't think there's much that they're going to see after that. But as it turns out... There is, and we're going to show a lot of that in this week's episode to kind of get you guys up to speed. So, all right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about a game that shockingly was not debuted at E3, and then the week after E3, we get the first real trailer of it, Dynasty Warriors 9. They showed the first gameplay from the game. All we had known about it before, they had put out like a teaser trailer that just was like cinematic shots or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and all that we had really been released information-wise that it was going to be an open world game. And this week, we finally got the first look at gameplay from Dynasty Warriors 9. Matt, what, what do you think now that you've seen it? Well, it sure looks like Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I only It have, looks exactly the same. I only have it in me to play about like one of these a year, maybe. I have like one per and, generation. Like, Fire Emblem honest. Warriors kind of has the has that dance slot yeah. filled already. I yeah, mean, and you know what? The IP appeals to me more. Yeah, and that's the, the if I had to choose between this and Fire Emblem Warriors, I'm going to play Fire yeah. Emblem Warriors. Yeah, like I don't. I certainly have no problem with the Romance of the Three Kingdom or the. The Warring States thing, whatever. Yeah. I don't remember which one it is. Um, but, uh, 
I played the Yellow Turban Rebellion many times. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if I really need to do it again. Yeah. I um, uh, look this this franchise. I'm sorry, Calpy. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels like this game has just been left in the dust. This franchise at this point. Yeah. Like, well, it just doesn't feel relevant anymore. Most games of this type have kind of at least transitioned over into the action adventure genre. Mm-hmm. Well, the, 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 the action RPG genre. Well, the other where there's like RPG really elements built into them and you're building up your characters. This well, just this looks like... It does? Dungeon Wars has had that for a long time. Leveling each character up, leveling their weapons up, finding the weapons in the area. Like It just doesn't really change anything. Right. Note, I'm talking about know? like the crafting part of it and mm-hmm. some of the more traditional RPG elements that have been creeping into games like this. This one is just... It feels like it's just been stuck in the same place for like... 10 years now. Yeah, well, I mean, it was one of the early action games to really ad- adopt, like, kind of the action RPG ideas, and each character had his own their own inventory, and you could get a good weapon or a bad weapon or this weapon and forge them into this or do that. And, like, it was just too much. It was like this 60 characters, you got to pick one or two and go through it. Yeah. Um, the other weird thing is, like, they seem to be putting a lot more effort into the license stuff at this point. Like, yeah. Like, certainly, I, got, I picked up Dynasty Warriors 8 Empires, uh, like, cheap on PSN a while ago, and, like, it's amazing how much worse it feels compared to Hyrule Warriors. Like, Hyrule Warriors is probably the best-playing Dynasty Warriors game ever made. Team Ninja, right? Didn't uh, Team Ninja, Team Ninja worked on it, but it's, you know, it's still the same franchise, technically. But, I mean, and, look, it's, it's either Team Ninja or Omega Force mm-hmm. who makes these games. Omega Force is making Dynasty yeah. Warriors 9. Team Ninja is Team Ninja, making... hell, but Omega Force is still credited on Hyrule Warriors. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in the... But, like, Hyrule Warriors just feels way better than any of the equivalent Dynasty Warriors games of the same generation. And you gotta wonder, like, what's, you know... Probably, I mean, might be the influence of Team Ninja, but it's not like Team Ninja is like an instant win. Right. Not anymore. Um, (laughs) But, you know, and I assume Fire Emblem Warriors will have, I mean, part of me assumes it's just like maybe they they made what they usually make and Nintendo kept sending it back saying like, no, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. Um, So Nintendo probably has higher standards than Koei, uh, you know, Koei Vanilla has for these things. But even like you look at like the Berserk game and stuff, like there, you know, there's some quality work happening there that just doesn't seem to be reflected in the recent Dynasty Warriors work. Um, now, I guess we'll see what Muso All Stars looks and feels like if they take kind of what what uh, was laid down in Hyrule Warriors and apply it to their main series like that. You know, I would definitely like to play that if it plays as well as Hyrule Warriors did, but a kind of part of me is going to really wait for some solid feedback and reviews on that. I'm just whereas like Fire Emblem Warriors, I'll probably buy instantly. Yeah. Just because I trust what they... At this point, I trust what they make for Nintendo to be on the quality level of Hyrule Warriors. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, too, is it doesn't really appear to be making much use of the new hardware. Uh, You still have the same problem where there's like 800 enemies and they're all exactly the same character model. Um, It's just... If if taking advantage of the hardware means making it an open world game, that to me is the wrong tact. Because I don't see how an open world really helps this franchise much, if at all. I, I feel like it's pretty much that already in 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 kind of a practical way how you play the game like what's yeah, does the it really difference? matter if the levels load in or if they're just snapped together I like i think so i mean i would rather have smaller contained environments and focus more on an enemy variety beyond like three yeah i would rather have a focus on like kind of the strategic elements where like where it feels like what you're doing matters yeah and like empires gets that a little bit but it also sort of bogs down in more menu driven shit Whereas I would be more interested in a dynamic battlefield feeling. And, like, it, you can see they're trying for it, but, like, 
every time I play an Empires game, I like hope that they're going to give me what I've been wanting since they started doing the Empires spin-offs, and they just never quite get there. Yeah. And it's like maybe Empire eight, eight, Dynasty Warriors eight Empires would have been what I wanted when Dynasty Warriors six Empires was made. Yeah. But the rest of the industry keeps leapfrogging it essentially. Yeah. And uh, and I, you know, I I certainly don't expect this one to you know change change that trend. They're just kind of catching up to what happened six years ago like they always are. This franchise has been essentially been bulletproof. It has a certain cadre of fans that mm-hmm. tend to buy it every time. Do you think this might be the breaking point, though, for it where... I don't know. We... we I think were, people have been prophesizing the doom of this franchise right. for and, but, a like, decade. But, but like, there have been some, you know, times when we've been mean to this series and... Got a little, I'm not a fan. A I mean, full disclosure, I and, uh, not, not I mean, like but I mean, like back franchise. in the day and yeah. stuff. And uh, it was a couple times we had it implied that like this thing is yakuza backed, right? And like, don't mess with Koei if you like know what's good for you, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, and like, I think that's more than rumors, actually. Yeah, but it's like <laughs> the like the rumor goes that basically one of the reasons this, this series sells so well is that all the stores have to order their allotment or else they get in trouble, basically. Well, this is that is what happened legitimately back when it first launched because the Yakuza also had a monopoly tied into Koei mm-hmm. at that point where they had some kind of a patent where they everyone had to get their PlayStation 1 CD-ROMs burned through them. Right. And they used that leverage to basically push this franchise into the stores and get great placement. And plus, it's Yakuza. I mean, if they know you're Yakuza, you can go into a store and be like, yo, you're putting this game right behind the Mm -hmm. register, and you're going to buy X amount of copies, and they're going to do it. So It worked. And it worked, because, I mean... It did become a legit... Because it's easy to play, and it is fun on a really kind of brainless, like you know, past the time level. Ultimately, the game has to hold up, though. You can shove a game in front of everyone's face, mm-hmm. and that helps, but if the game sucks, it's not going to sustain over time. And the game was good enough, and particularly in Japan, they love it, to sustain it all this time. So, mm-hmm. and again, you have all those spinoffs you're talking about, the Empire's games, uh, that's just like scratching the surface of how many times they've reused this game design. Right. I mean, it is probably one of the most pimped out and the same maps and the same engines ever, it's just yeah. the same thing every so there were samurai warriors and then yeah. all the third party stuff they're working yeah. on and with then Nintendo the orochi and... thing where like they crossed over samurai warriors and yeah exactly warriors. and then you, and then you have like ip driven stuff like the berserk game that just came mm-hmm. out that you talked about so yeah i mean it, it's a it's a formula that works clearly but uh i don't know like uh You'd think it would only go so far, but at this point, maybe it's almost like a, it's inertia or some kind of feeling. It's of like, like a it's the cockroach of the video game industry. Yeah, or you cannot like you kill it. it; it won't die. Like it's like kind of one of those things. Like, oh, I wonder what this looks like. What does Guan Yu look like in this yeah. on this system? You know, everyone's <laughs> yeah. got to have their Dynasty Warriors game just to see what it looks like. Yeah. But I feel like you know, getting Dynasty Warriors eight for like ten bucks was enough for me. Yeah. On that, I don't. I don't. I'm not gonna. I feel like maybe I'll buy this when it's eight bucks too. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't show this off at E3. Although it was kind of smart because if it happened during E3, we wouldn't be talking about it on Game Face. So I guess ultimately they were proven right by waiting till the week after the show to uh, debut the first <laughs> gameplay of it. So I'm sure a lot more is going to be coming from this yeah. game in the coming. Their months. Attack on Titan game, was right? Really good. There's another one. 
But and that was pretty much the same engine. Yeah, they actually did something different with that game. Yeah, at least. they were kind of building on to, uh, to Tokiden or whatever that was. Because Tokiden, there's another yeah. one. Because that, well, that one actually because that game uses a lot more flying it stuff. Yeah. And that, so I think that's where they they took a lot of the the Attack on Titan stuff. But the, again, their licensed stuff is surprisingly good. It is. Yeah, no doubt. So it feels like Dynasty Warriors is like just what they make to. Fill the coffers for, yeah, to, for to, their more creative ideas. It's, it's like obligation or something. Yeah. Well, they want to make money, ultimately. Yeah. And that's their cash cow. They know that they're going to sell a ton of them. So I'm sure we'll see a lot more from that game coming up in the, in, uh, the next few months. But wanted to get on your radar now that we've seen how it actually plays. And it plays exactly the same. <laughs> so there you go. Let's uh, move on. We're going to talk next about a new service that was also rumored before E3. And just finally launched this week. Uh, came, came out with the launch trailer. The service is now online. Sega Forever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's essentially a mobile service where you can play retro Sega games for free on your on your mobile phone on iOS and Android. Uh, it launched with five games. It was what Sonic the Hedgehog, Comic Zone, mm-hmm. uh, Crazy Taxi, Crazy Taxi. Um, oh, I can't remember what the other two were. I don't know. I'm sure we'll see them in this trailer, nevertheless. But um, I was interested in this for a second, and then I kind of like zoned out when I found it was only mobile. Yeah, so basically how it works is um, you can play games for free and you have to watch ads while you play the games. Mm-hmm. Or you can buy each game for $2. Um, as it turns out, the games are emulated. Yeah. And there's been a lot of pushback on the quality of the games for this service. Yeah, they have. it's weird that Sega has a lot of trouble finding emulated games with the sound that working right. Yeah, why is like, that? Well, the Genesis sound chip is a very weird beast, and it's hard to get right. And uh, there are emulators out there that do it right now, but none of them are in the commercially available products. And this has been a problem going back to the Dreamcast because they Sega put out a, a like a Sonic Genesis collection thing on that back in the day, and I remember being super excited for it, and I put it in, all the sound was wrong. Yeah, and it's and the thing is like you forget like they, it was, it's kind of, they kind of tried to downplay it and and when you know when we slammed it in the review it was back at Tech TV days but like the the sound to these old games is really key because it's the only real communication you had <laughs> with right. the game you know yeah. like I'm sorry but I've heard the Sonic Ring sound probably a five million times. How many times, times in I my wonder life. have we heard that sound? <laughs> and if it's the pitch is wrong, I'm gonna know it. Right away. Like it, it's, yeah. And so like you, it's like hearing your favorite song the wrong like it's played in but the it's wrong like key. Slowed or something. Down or whatever, it's like slowed down or yeah. And like yeah I know like, like yeah that the punches in Streets of Rage were wrong. Like they didn't yeah. sound right. And like and that happens a lot in these kind of cheap and dirty uh, emulator collections that are put out by some, you know, by the, like when you see like the retro Sega console for like twenty bucks with thirty games on it at Toys R Us or whatever, like the, the all those console and they're, you know they're putting another one out this fall, I think, uh, more styled like the classic Genesis. But I guarantee you the sounds going to be wrong on that one too because they're using all the same software. I I have to uh, give respect to Nintendo because they never let their virtual console games go up with bad sound like that. No, they never but let they have happen. also been... It's also been discovered that Nintendo has released emulated versions they have, of its games. On but it. they also... But they at least vet them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Sega's up front about we licensed... The, you know, on the Dreamcast one, I think they straight up said, we, we licensed this emulator from this this person who makes this... Yeah. Why not build one yourself that you know is going to work? That's it's so real... easy. You have... On mobile, the power of I these phones the... is like... A billion yeah. times more powerful than the Sega Genesis ever was. Well, because I think at the, well, at the time, at least, it was basically like their reaction to us asking about it was like, who cares? 
It's just so late. They didn't think anyone would notice, basically. And like it was, you know, that was early days. That was like two thousand one, like I don't or two thousand one, two thousand two, and like I think they didn't really know that like you know the nostalgia for the older games wasn't there there yet. Like I think people like you and I knew that was coming because we were getting older and we still weren't tired of playing our favorites from back then. But the companies I don't think realized how. Uh, sacred almost some of these things are to the people who grew up with them and uh, now it's there and a lot of other companies have finally kind of come around to the idea that you need to emulate or remaster these things with a real eye towards accuracy and Sega still doesn't quite seem to get that well the other the other caveat to this too is that Sega about a month ago put out this big declaration during one of its financial reports saying how its new goal was to revive this all this old IP that it has that it's just been sitting around and they haven't been using it or working with it, and if this is sort of your first foray to get people kind of reconnected with that retro content, that's bad. Yeah, not tops. I mean, it doesn't really. Sh- <laughs> it, it to me it demonstrates that you're not really all that dedicated to making sure that you're handling this uh, retro catalog with kids' gloves mm-hmm. and with care. Um, and so it makes you wonder, I mean, if you look back at some of the games that Sega has, or IP that Sega has tried to revive in the past, they're guilty of that again. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much any time they've tried to revive an old IP in the modern world, those games have done terrible. They've scored like four and five. Shinobi might be the one exception. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, like Altered Beast. Yeah, Altered Beast was a disaster. Yeah, I mean, all of them, though. It's like they, they fail to... Even a lot Realize of the, what the essence of... Right. And even a lot of the... They did the 3D Ages series in Japan, um, and a lot of those were bad. Yeah. The, gold, the Golden Axe games they did for that, where basically they were they were 3D versions of classic games for the PlayStation 2, and uh, the, the Golden Axe ones were in, you know, similar to the, the, the Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time, like Xbox yeah. Arcade thing. Mm-hmm. It's just... It completely lost what made those games play the way they played and feel the way they felt and it was there was nothing there for it and like i think the only 3d ages game i ever got and kept was the fantasy star collection yeah uh the fantasy star games i think are some of the great lost rpgs of the 60s era um and it's a shame that like i mean mean, it's a shame that whole franchise has gone away i would i I mean fantasy star 2 is one of the greatest of all time of all time if you were there in 1991 yeah yeah, you play it now and and you're like you got to bust the graph paper out and draw the maps and this is like (laughs) i was like wow like this how did we have time for this but look like i think it's ridiculous that sega doesn't go do you know final fantasy style remakes of these you know like like not like final fantasy 7 but like you know the way they remade 4 and 6 yeah and they don't even have to do that i mean create a new game with the yeah. Fantasy Star IP in that universe. Well, the Fantasy Star, you know, online too is going strong in Asia. Yeah, yeah, uh, but, but I'm, that's but... what I'm talking about. Like, I, I, I think it's crap that all we've got are these sort of MMO takes on that IP. Mm-hmm. Like, how about a really good single-player Fantasy Star RPG? Like, that's one of those things that you can make an announcement of and bring down the house and get people mm-hmm. excited about the Sega brand again. Um I just feel like that that company and its assets have been trying completely, to make Sonic again. It's been completely mismanaged. Like, oh, yeah. it's really disappointing. And this is another case I feel like where they're mismanaging it. They're not putting their best foot forward with these mm-hmm. older games. Well, that, um, that, that company. I mean, I'm I'm a Sega fan from back in the original. I mean, Master System days, arcade day. I mean, Shinobi, Space Harrier, all that stuff. Uh, was what I loved the best back then. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the reasons I, you know, I try to be as honest as I can about the failures with modern companies is I saw my favorite company go down in flames about three different ways in the late 90s. (laughs) And um, 
I knew the Dreamcast was never going to be anything. I, I did it. I loved it. I, mean, I, I, I didn't. I mean, especially at launch, because that launch was so amazing. Oh, launch I mean, was great. I was like, wow, like Sega really did it this time. Yeah, but they just, I it mean, wasn't going to matter. After the Saturn and everything, I mean, and Saturn was a total debacle. Yeah, some and of my favorite see, games of all time are on the Saturn. I mean, Sega pulled system. it, yeah, but Sega pulled it together for Dreamcast. Had a great launch, had good mm -hmm. hardware. Uh, got me playing online on a console yep. for like the first time ever, and the it was it worked great. Voice chat, a lot of innovation. I mean, you look at games like Seaman, which we talked about like a month or so ago. Um, it started so strong, and it just had nothing because yep. third parties bailed so fast or didn't support it at all. Yep. No EA. No on. EA was the kiss of death. For it that was system. especially at that point in time. Yeah, but EA was much more important. EA Sports was way more important at the time. And I mean, look, Sega filled that void great with its own sports games, which were amazing. Yeah, but. I think, NFL 2K was the first football game I ever bought. Yeah, and but I think that you know the lack of EA support just convinced other publishers like, well, VA's yeah. not doing it, and I think Nintendo's fallen into that trap too in the last couple console iterations. And I think you know, and EA never underestimate EA's ability to be the leader of you know, as goes EA, so goes the industry in some yeah. in some ways, and you're seeing that again with VR. Yeah, for sure. EA, you know, EA's lack of VR support is a real damage to that to it that is. effort and like i can't blame them for not I mean, wanting look, to if be they involved made, if but... they made madden vr i would be all freaking oh, yeah. over it or if they made nhl vr oh my god my heart might stop or look at you know look at battlefront vr which i'm pretty sure only exists because rogue one's marketing budget said make this i mean honestly and, and they did a great job they did like, yeah. like, clearly this stuff you know dead space vr would be something i'd, I'd be in i think that was more of just an ilm push they're like hey we want to work in this technology mm -hmm. and we're going to build this regardless see so you might as well put it out but you know even if they just did like a mini mode of madden which is just throwing the ball for mm -hmm. vr it was just this little side mode that they put in and maybe they work six months on or whatever like that would convince me to buy madden yeah. or if they Similar did it for like, NHL. Kind of what they did with the wii like even if they just put like a shootout mode in nhl and vr like that would mm -hmm. convince me to buy the new nhl or be the, the virtual goalie imagine that like you playing goalie and having your favorite yeah. player, Sidney Crosby, coming at me trying to score on a breakaway. Like, that would be amazing. So, it, it, you're right. EA is sort of this flag to the rest of the industry. If it doesn't support something, the rest of the industry gets really mm -hmm. nervous about it. And uh, that has been sort of, that was sort of the death of the Dreamcast in a lot of ways. So, I don't know. I, I'm like you. Like, I have this soft spot in my heart for Sega because they were a, they're OGs, you know. They were mm -hmm. a part of us as kids enjoying games. Just like a lot of the people who are watching this right now or who subscribed to Sifted, for them, like, the original PlayStation was the OG. It's like the system they grew up with, the system that they remember trading games with their friends over. Like, that's Sega and Nintendo for us. And so it hurts me to just see it just oh, yeah. constantly make these missteps over and over again. That was one of my hard, hardest things adjusting to when I first got into the industry was, like, you know, meeting Sega people and kind of dealing with Sega and slowly learning that these people did not know Sega the way I knew Sega. Right. Where like it, there was, it was there just was, a job. Yeah, you know, they, one, they're a PR person I, who came from five other publishers yeah. before. And well, at one point I remember I had to explain to uh, one of the one of the Sega PR people what Golden Axe was. Right. And yeah. it was just one. I mean, it's just one of those things where you're like, oh, no wonder this place this place doesn't know what to <laughs> like the fact that you didn't know that that's a thing you should trumpet that yeah. Golden Axe is here, is or like, at least care about. Yeah, like or at least try. Like yeah. the, like the fact that you, it didn't register with you as a thing. The fact that you refuse to release a goddamn Shinobi collection? What yeah. the hell is wrong with you?
Yeah. Some of those games are great, they and they've are. been out of circulation for, for, I mean, not just the Genesis ones, but the Saturn one was really good. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's yeah. ugly now, because it uses that Mortal Kombat digitized graphics well, thing. Well, it's also a like, Saturn game, which yeah. wasn't the best. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I try to stay positive, because I know Sega has this cache of IPs that could potentially be hugely successful. They just seem to keep bungling it over mm -hmm. and over again. There's no I, reason... I, can't, I never give up on them. Right. Well, I can't like, quit Sega. There's no reason a modern Golden Axe or a modern Altered Beast couldn't be good. Yeah. You know, a Golden Axe Beast Rider. You look at that con <laughs> conceptually and you're like... That's a good idea. And then you play it's it. It's a terrible game. Yeah, it's, yeah. What happened? Like, yeah. it, it's like, there's no... I mean, partly because there's no room for B-listers anymore. Yeah. But, like... There's, but these shouldn't be They shouldn't be B-listers. Like, you could take the Golden Axe property and make a... An, a bad-ass Dark Souls alike. You could. Or just an or open, Altered open world action RPG with Golden Axe. It's like, just... you got to talk to the right developers. Yeah. And uh, Sega doesn't seem to be able to do that, so... All right, let's move on. Next. How is it in this new era of indie kind of, you know, bringing back all the classic genres? How is Streets of Rage not back no, you're right. in some way? Yeah, because you're getting a lot of that. Like, beat-em-ups are definitely yeah. a thing, kind of un an undercurrent in the indie scene right now. Yeah. Um, go check out Mother Russia Bleeds if you haven't, because, yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, I think it's called the, the Takeover is another indie game. It's still in early access, but it's basically straight-up 3D Streets of Rage. Yeah. And it's just like... Sega has all these properties they could be leveraging, and I, they don't seem to. They, they sort of sit, seem to sit there and be like, "Oh, oh really? Yeah. Make, oh, make really? another Sonic game. Go, <laughs> go do another Sonic game." Because they know it's going to sell. Yeah, sadly. So, all right, so we're going to talk next about Shadow of the Tomb Raider. So, if you remember, Matt, I guess it was six or eight months ago. Yeah. That the someone old, was the old train. Leak. Yeah, someone was riding on a train and had their laptop open, and it just so happened there was a hardcore gamer sitting next to them who mm. was like, "What's he that?" Knew, knew what he was looking at, and knew he was looking at the next Tomb Raider. Snapped a couple images, disseminated some information out there, and once again, this game has been outed by a weird leak. Don't look at the classified information on public transit, people. Yeah. It's not a <laughs> Someone's always paying attention. Well, this was actually an art firm who had been right. working on mock-ups and art, mock-ups for the logo, and then artwork for the game. Mm -hmm. um, and you could put up that, that still that we have, Sam. Um, put it up on its website. <laughs> and I think a lot of times people who don't, aren't actually hardcore gamers don't understand how rabid and dedicated we are. Mm -hmm. And how there are people out there who are searching for stuff like this all the freaking time. And they will figure out, they'll see like some listing for, hey, art looking to work on game, whatever. And they'll go back to that website and refresh it for the next six months, thinking that something might pop up. And then something like this does, does it, ultimately. Um, so these are the first glimpses of Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Uh, based upon that concept art, it looks like it's taking place in South America. I yeah, guess it, yeah, there's some like Mayan-looking pyramid, like step pyramids in this. Yeah, it's almost uh, like Machu Picchu or whatever. Yeah. One of the other things I thought uh, was, you know, and a lot of people pointed out was exciting is she's got her braid back. Yeah, like, and it's like. I, I would love that for that feedback to hit the art the the art company. It's just like the idea, of like yeah, that's what everybody noticed was her hair was back the way yeah. the classic <laughs> style. It's like yeah, people care. Yeah, dude. People, oh, people care, care about these time. these these little little nuances of these properties and characters we we've been with for twenty years or yeah something yeah like. for sure. Um, so the game's happening. Yeah. It's, it's a real thing. It's in there somewhere. It's uh, Chris on Dynamics is working on the next game. Um, 
What do you hope for in the next Tomb Raider? Because I almost feel like with Rise of the Tomb Raider, it's like, what else is there? Yeah. And I guess that's their job, is to figure out, I mean, figure out what else is they should there, be but... better at this than we are. We're not the people who mm. are paid to make games. I mean, I love Rise of the Tomb Raider. Like, so do I. I. Like, I like both of them. I like the original, the, 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 reboot. the reboot Tomb Raider a lot. I actually pl- played that three times. I never wow. play stuff more than once, usually. But I played that three times on three separate platforms. So the original, the definitive edition on uh, Xbox One, and then I played the PC version. Uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, I've played one and a half times. Uh, I, I, I got halfway through the PC version, and I, I've been wanting to go back and do it again, but I just haven't had time to like, start over and play the full thing, but I haven't had time. Uh, but I really like this take on the franchise, especially because I never really liked Tomb Raider before. I didn't either. Um, <laughs> That's another full disclosure for me. I've never been a big fan of Tomb Raider until the reboot. I always wanted Rise. to be because I like the concept of the archaeologist, like you know, plundering tombs and finding ancient civilizations and shooting dinosaurs and stuff. But like, um, just like real archaeology. But um, <laughs> yeah, you, cr- you crack that tomb up and a dinosaur comes out. You gotta be ready with the twin <laughs> pistols. That's that's what they teach you in one you know archaeology one hundred and one. My friends always played these, so you know I and I did it, and I would go over and hang out with them, and I'd end up watching them play it for a couple hours, and that was enough to let me know that I just never really wanted to play the old ones. Uh, but these new ones, I absolutely love them. But I think maybe the bigger question becomes not even with just Tomb Raider, where do games go now? Because We've kind of reached this inflection point where it's almost like, you know, they say in X number of years, everyone on the earth is going to have the same skin color, you know, because Mm -hmm. eventually everyone's going to mate together and there's just going to be one skin color for everybody. It could take thousands of years or whatever. Mm -hmm. But games, I feel like, have kind of got to this place where they've already borrowed so many elements of each other that I almost feel like we've reached that one skin tone? Mm, I know better than to ever think that. Really? Um, I think the key here is that if you and I knew what was going to be the next thing that made, you know, that leap forward that made... We'd be know, rich. We, yeah, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, like, we, wouldn't be, we, we wouldn't be talking about it. We'd be making it. Yeah. Um, it just feels like it's been a long time since there's been really a new genre. Well, I mean, you know, there's been a long time since there's been more than, there's more than only seven stories, really, when you get right. break, break it down, but you can still find a new way to tell it. Um, you know, in, but I mean, in, we've in already seen, of, like... In the case of something like this, like, setting makes it goes a long way into something like what, what Lara Croft does. Yeah, it does. But, I mean, look, MOBA is probably the last new genre, I would think. Mm-hmm. And we're already seeing, like, MOBA elements coming into all the other genres. I feel like they're running out of ingredients to make the dishes out of. I think, you know, if you're going to constrain it to, like, something like the kind of the action-adventure, action-RPG hybrid that has sort of become the the sort of the standard console game now. But, like, I would argue something, you know, like, the, the future lies in stuff, you know, of new genres, I think, lies in things like when you mix mobile and VR and AR and that kind of thing together. You know, like stuff the like stuff Pokemon like Go. Like PlayLink from E3 with yeah, Sony. Yeah, stuff like that. But also, like, I think Pokemon Go is an example of, like... AR. Taking things like that. VR is, you know, opens... You know, VR is just not there yet. VR, when whenever VR catches on, and maybe we'll be too old to take advantage of it by the time yeah, it does, um, you know, there will be new genres there because there's new way... It's a new medium. It's a new way to present things. Well, it's like we saw this week, uh, this guy had built... Super Mario Brothers in the real world using HoloLens, where mm-hmm. he's literally walking through a park and like a Super Mario Brothers level is laid out in front of him in 3D. You can actually interact with it and jump over stuff yep. and jump up and punch the block the boxes and 
and that type of thing. But still, technically, it's a 3D platformer that you're playing. Right, but like proof of concept for things like that is always useful to give people something they recognize so they can kind to of inspire understand. them and yeah you and you understand sort of the premise of what they're going for and then from there you use that as a springboard to do something that no one's ever seen before i think I, when i kind of brought broached this topic it was more talking about to the traditional 2d play on a tv screen video game mm -hmm. like i'm just really starting to wonder where they're going to go from here other than wow that looks a lot better than it did before um I mean, it has been a long time since there's really been a defining genre other than the MOBA. And that was a decade ago. Or maybe more. Um, I don't, I, so I, when I start to look at games like this and say, okay, let's start thinking about the next Tomb Raider, it's hard to get too excited about the design or the, or the gameplay these days. I think we saw with like a way out maybe some new ideas, but... Even see, that's kind of been done. Well, see, I, that's what I was. That's why a way out, way out doesn't interest me is because every single gameplay element there has been done to death. Yeah, and it hasn't. You know, and it's not it, that game didn't seem to have the dynam, dynam, dynamism that kind of the, the new Tomb Raider games tend to deliver. Um, here's the thing: like, I don't care. Like when you when you talk about like that doesn't bother like the, like innovation. Look, we're gonna is, keep playing these games, right? We're... Innovation is overrated. I think basically, like doing well, I some, disagree with that. Doing but... something new is not uh, some kind of guarantee of quality or being good. But see, I it's, think uh, when you do something refinement, new, refinement, and 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 structure and uh, iteration uh, lead you to way better things than hey, I did this new thing. But you have to have the person who does the new thing first before anyone any of the other stuff even matters. Like it's like you just said with like that guy who created Super Mario Brothers with Hololens. Like that's like the inflection point. That's the inspiration point. That's what other people are going to look at and be like, okay, this guy did this cool thing. Now I'm going to take that and I'm going to build on it and create something better and hopefully more polished. Without innovation, this industry would have died 20 years, 30 years ago. You have to have it. It's like, we're look, we're total idiots. We're going to play games no matter what until we can't play them anymore. That's just the way it is. It's just a part of who we are. But the, ma the vast majority of people who spend money on games are not like us. And if they get bored, the vast majority that's where the industry gets in deep shit. But they, innovation has nothing to do with that audience. It does, though. That's no, it what... doesn't. Call of Duty is not an innovative series. Call of Duty was not even an innovative game when they came up with it in the first place. It's just a refinement of what already existed, done better than what everybody else did. But look did. at Grand Theft Auto. I mean, that's a perfect example of something that flipped the entire industry on its head and was adopted by the mass market eventually. Mm -hmm. And then eventually... Most of the industry is trying to recreate it or creating their own takes on Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, but I would argue that Grand Theft Auto was, a, again, a refinement of what already existed. What? Body Harvest was already Grand Theft Auto 3. Right, Grand but Theft Auto made, 3, it's Grand made Theft by Auto the same 3. company, though. Right, but it's Grand the same Th studio, the same people. Right, but I mean, what they're doing in those games is stuff that people talked about but couldn't do yet because it was a technical, technological limitation. Because, I mean, Grand Theft Auto 1 and 2 already kind of have the same idea. Grand Theft Auto 3 just takes the camera and moves it to the street. Because you couldn't do that before. And yeah, you see that, but, you know, even Zelda Ocarina of Time, with all its innovation for how you control it, was essentially... I mean, look, the two Zelda... The Zelda game... Not Zelda 2, but the two Zelda games that preceded it desperately wanted to be three-dimensional games. Like, they, they were... They were you know, the camera is, is set, especially in Link to the Past, in a way that gives you a depth to the world. 
and then you know making it polygonal just sort of made realize that desire that you'd see in those in the 2D games. And then the real innovation came in how you control a character in that space. But Matt, you said that iteration is the real key, mm-hmm. but you can't iterate until you have the first idea. Without the first idea, there's no such thing as iteration. Yeah, but if you want to go back to the first idea in terms of genres or games, you're going back to the 80s. There hasn't been innovation in that sense since we were children. Like, it's all refinement, iteration, and presenting it better, and finding a new way to make it work, but ne- not necessarily reinventing the wheel. Also, I don't really expect that from Shadow of the Tomb Raider. I mean, Shadow of the Tomb Raider will add a couple no, of things you this, can do with a pick and all that kind of thing. This was just the example that I'm using to right. get into a deeper discussion about where kind of things are headed, and if, indeed, we are kind of in this rut where... And, and I think maybe we've reached to the point, because there are no new genres being made, we've kind of reached the end of the iteration. That's yeah, I get I just, my point. I just will never, ever agree with that, because every time someone says that, they're wrong. It's, it's, like, it's like the guy, the patent But what game put, proves that wrong? We'll have to wait and see. Beyond Good and Evil could, could but be But I mean, even go back five years and give me a game that proves that wrong. Proves be- what wrong? That we've reached the, the end of iteration. Other than saying, here's a new setting with a new character... Has there really been any games in the last 10 years where you're like, oh, wow. Like, maybe you go back to the Wii with motion controls and, like, Wii Sports. Yeah, I mean, again, like, the Wii in some cases was sort of a evolution of what the, you know, what arcade games were before. You know, arcade games kind of had that motion control thing that they developed basically to survive. Yeah. You know, like that thing. To create a novelty. To cre- yeah, to create a thing you couldn't replicate in the home, so you had to go pay a dollar at Dave & Buster's to right. do it. And then the Wii brought some of that stuff home, not, you know, on the same visual fidelity level, but that was basically what the Wii was doing. And also the wiggle and, you know, wiggle and stuff. I mean, that was all there before. It just, you know, it, it put, either puts it in a new location or it puts it in, in a new price point. That's actually probably the more important thing. Is like, yeah. you know, like visuals like like what we see in this Tomb Raider footage, were they possible like ten some years ago? Probably, but we couldn't afford the stuff that ran it. I don't even know if they were possible, honestly. Even on like the best supercomputers. Back I mean, then. if you really took like bleeding edge, like the stuff Pixar used, kind of thing, you'd probably get something like that to happen. But it wasn't something that you were going to be able to do in real time. And I think augmented like, reality might be the next paradigm shift because if you think back to when they when Nintendo first debuted the Wii. It wasn't really like the motion controls and the waggle that had me excited. It was... It was a sense of presence. That, and it was when they first showed Ubisoft's shooter, it was the guy hiding behind the couch. (laughs) Seriously. That, to me, is what blew my mind. I was like, oh my god, like, your living room becomes, like, the playground. And of course, that was all BS. Yeah, that didn't happen. Like that never happened, and that was to me. Was in fact, hiding behind the couch means that the Wii thing can't see the controller. Right, it won't work at all. Yeah. (laughs) So whatever happened, you remember that thing that the Xbox or Microsoft had, where it was like supposed to turn the room into the into the the arena. It was supposed to expand. You know, it was had lights and projectors and stuff. Supposed to expand the screen space out onto the wall. Actually, it was like a bunch of like. um, I mean, that's what Hololens is now, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, this was like more of a. Like almost like a light show, almost. It was from like four or five years ago, and it was like that was sort of like the idea of like how to expand beyond the screen. You would have it be like it turns the the room into the play the environment yeah. kind of thing, you know. And it was it was I think it was shown as kind of a like a conjun- in conjunction with the Connect tech. And obviously, when the Connect did what it did, that kind of probably went out the window. 
AR, I mean, again, with AR, I think you're probably right that that is the, ne- you know, I think Pokemon Go also shows that that is the kind of the yeah. next step. Just really scratching that, the paint but off. Again, the, but again, so like I said, we have to wait for it to be affordable because no one's going to pay $3,000 for a HoloLens. Well, they're saying that that's a big push for the new iPhone is the mm, AR mm-hmm. and the new iPhone is supposed to be like the game changer or whatever. We'll see. We've yeah. heard that about Apple products Who, before. Yeah. But. Whoever, whoever gets that, not right, but whoever gets it affordable and like compelling the first time is going to be you know because again it's not it's not going to be who invented augmented reality it's going to be about who presents it properly right that's always well, who makes what a compelling experience around right. it um, right. and look some of the early hololens stuff i've seen is pretty freaking mind blowing yeah. um but i like think the, the still... conquer thing looks really cool yeah it, it, he doesn't look very good yeah, but the yeah. idea of what they're doing is really neat and just the other stuff too just being able to kind of project the tv wherever you want in your house that type of mm. stuff it was, is what will get the casuals, will convince them to jump into the technology and use that as a Trojan horse mm-hmm. to get them into the games. But then you think about it, though, there's still no new genres to play even within sort of that paradigm shift. You're still going to be playing, like, shooters and sports games. And, mm-hmm. I mean, you hope that technology spurs on some new ideas. I mean, we're, we're kind of seeing that again with the PlayLink stuff with PlayStation 4 and mobile. Um, you're kind of breaking that fourth wall, so to speak. And maybe there's some new concepts around those kind of ideas for augmented reality. But I still think we're going to end up doing, like, the same stuff. It's going to be action adventures and RPGs. It's that it's going to be on your table instead yeah, of, you but know. That's, that's okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, you got to be careful not to sound like the guy who was running the patent office in 1900. Right. Who said they should shut the patent office down because there's nothing left to be invented. Right, right. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what someone way smarter than us is working on right now. Uh, we don't know what's in the pipeline for some of these new technologies and AR stuff, like you say. Like, like I can't imagine. I, mean, I just know that the smartest people in the world have been working on this stuff for a long time, mm-hmm. and it seems like they've hit an impasse, I guess is the best way to phrase mm-hmm. it. I mean, you also still got to stick with what you know sells as well. Um, and again, you know, you never know. Mark Cerny's a really smart man, but he still made knack. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. If you look at him, he's the guy that you kind of look at that's like, this guy's going to figure it out. But there's... Hundreds of those guys like that. Yeah, but he builds industry. your tech. He's not the guy that you go to to make your art. Yeah. So, well, although yeah. building the tech is an art in itself, it is for sure. Um, I'm just not worried about that. Like that, the the the, 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 the medium will evolve the way it's going to evolve, and there's people. You know, the, the, these things arise organically much of the time, or arise when suddenly the technology allows you to do something that you couldn't do before, or you'd thought of and and would have never attempted before. You know, I think Beyond Good and Evil 2 is an example of that, at least what they're trying to do in that tech demo. Yeah. Um, who knows if they'll pull it off. Like, you know, again, doing something no one's ever done before No Man's Sky and making it something everybody wants to play No Man's Sky is not the same thing. Right. Um, no Man's Sky is an amazing technical achievement, but about 90% of the people who bought it are angry. <laughs> so, right. like... Well, it may turn them off to other games it, that look similar. Right, and at some point, someone may make a No Man's Sky that delivers what people were wanting. You know, and people don't, you know... Oh, they, they're trying. They're There's trying. There's like 20 No Man's Sky clones. Oh, sure, but it's also interesting to note that, like, you know, people don't necessarily want what No Man's Sky was trying to deliver. So the question, you know, like, I see a lot of people uh, suggest uh, Elite Dangerous instead yeah. of No Man's Sky. Elite Dangerous does not offer remotely really this, a similar experience. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, like be a space trucker, Elite Dangerous is awesome. Yeah. But I don't want to be a space trucker. I want to land on science fiction book covers. You right. know? And, uh, you know, eventually, that, you know, someone will take that science fiction book cover idea and make something that's fun to play, that gives you content that matters, meaningful content, and lets you still stand on that ridge and see that vista and take that screenshot and say, like, wow, I was here. Uh, and it won't matter that Hello Games did it first. 
because the innovation isn't as important as the refinement and the presentation. But it does matter, because if it wasn't for No Man's Sky, no one would even have had the idea, potentially, for years or maybe ever, to even attempt to do something like yeah, that. Yeah, but see, that's kind of like great man theory of history, and I don't tend to subscribe to that. Someone was going to do that one way or the other, whether it was Hello Games or somebody else. Maybe right, but maybe it doesn't happen for years and years later instead of when it does now. And now we're in that iterative process because Hello Games was brave enough and mm -hmm. bold enough and had the great idea to try it first and fail miserably, in my opinion. But, right. but still, it inspired all these other people to be like, hey, but it's because they've got a great idea there that people got behind and wanted to love. Now let me try to take that football and run with right, it. Right, but that's kind of my point is that they did it but if you think they're the first people to ever have the idea for that game, you're crazy. Because I had that idea for that game when right. I was eight. Oh, I mean, look, we, like, sit, we sit around and come up with pie-in-the-sky ideas all the time. Right. But. And it's more about someone who decides to actually jump on it and do it. But like, you're asking for, like, new things that no one's ever thought of before for these genres, and that's just not how things happen, usually. Uh, it does, though. Somebody had to come up with the side-scrolling platformer. Someone had to come up with the first-person shooter. I mean... Someone along the line was the first person to come up with those ideas and yeah, then implement mo them. But most of that came about because of how the technology worked and what they could make it do. And it's not about sitting there and saying, I'm going to come up with a new genre today. It's more about like, oh, I can make this thing move like that. So if I do that, I could do this. Like that's, and like, that's a very hard thing to predict in the future because we just don't know what the hardware, what the tools, what the graphical power, what, what, the, you know, what people are working with in development are going to suddenly allow them to do in the next leap, in the next iteration, in the next Unreal Engine, in the next, if Crytek doesn't die in the next four years, or with the next Crisis Engine lets them do, you know, there's, there's just so many things we can't predict, and like it's so, you know, I'm, I'm just not worried about, I can't sit here and tell you that like, you know, oh, the new genre that comes out next will be this, because I don't know, because you're not going to know that until someone, it's like they say, like... Innovates. Inno it's not innovation, <laughs> though. It's iteration. It's, it's, it's well, presumably a new genre would be innovation. Yeah, but a new genre can be something really, really, you know, it's like... like it you, can be a spark. But it's like, that like you called MOBA a new genre, but like, you know, if you, if you, don't, if you don't know idea. what a MOBA is, it is a new genre. But if you don't know what it is originally, you know, like, you'll get a Defense of the Ancients back when it was first a mod for Warcraft 3, you're like, well, it's just a game mode. Right. You know? But it's not. It's more yeah. than that. We, you don't even know a new genre till, when you see it sometimes until it develops into what it's going to become. So I just, I just feel like you're worried about something that's an, a non-issue on that. I'm not worried. Like, you, I, that's I, not even what I'm worried about. What I'm worried about is the industry not coming up with new ideas and the industry doing poorly because of it. That was what I was getting at through this whole discussion is if the new ideas don't keep coming, it's like you look at like Tomb Raider is a perfect example. You look at the Tomb Raider reboot. Huge sales. Mm -hmm. Next one, better game, in my opinion, better game. Sales, not as high mm -hmm. as that first one. And so it's just natural that people like, great idea, executed well, and then it follows that bell curve down. And my concern is that the whole industry could follow that bell curve if we don't start to get some new and exciting ideas out to, to people. See, and my feeling is like the, the, the meat, the big hits, the mega hits of the industry have nothing to do with new ideas because they're all about what already came before and you just want more of the same. Because that's what Call of Duty is, that's what Madden is. That's right, what but look at Call of Duty, Matt. Yeah, the, Its the, sales the, are down. Going yeah, and what, the was the, what was the game that, that had the worst sales? The newest idea they've tried in 10 years. Yeah. And this new one, which is going back to World War II, which is what Call of Duty started as, I will bet you their sales are going to be right back up where they were. Well, because now that's what's innovative. Is a World War II game is now you know it is though they went down this futuristic okay. path, but that's the way it is. That's, but that's how it not works. a new idea. It's just like somebody wearing bell bottoms now. It's like wow, they're really progressive. They decided to wear bell bottoms. Well, even that, they... is, 
that was just a cycle of fashion, and that is a, that's a separate thing. But, but it that is true. That cycle ap- applies to everything, though. It's not just fashion. Like everything in our lives, everything old is new again. That's how it works. It's yeah, like, but, but you can't move, there's only you can't so move the goalposts the like that, and all of a sudden say a World War II first-person shooter is a new idea because it's not. Neither is wearing bell bottoms. But suddenly someone wears bell bottoms and someone says, hey, I think they're cool again, and it becomes this thing again. Yeah, it's, but, but it's not just that way new. with games. Music happen, works that way. Everything. Like, there's, the problem is with I think you've come anything, back around to my iteration idea again. It's not, though. The problem is... is, is That's the is, definition of reiteration of, of trends of fashion and music. Like, you, you take what's come no. before and you make it something that people haven't heard before. I'm making my point that... it. it as you get to a certain point where you can't iterate anymore, and you need that new paradigm shift to iterate. And if you don't find it, you go into that cycle where everything's repeated. Like, now we're playing another World War II Call of Duty game instead of some new idea. And, like, a space shooter is nothing new. It's not like those Call of Duty games were the first game, first-person shooter set in space. Or no, in but in gravity. context of Call of Duty, Infinite Warfare is the newest idea they'd tried in a ever, maybe? Right. But you, so that's what Probably happens, though. Probably since they made the Black Ops leap but or see, the that's Modern what, Warfare That's leap. what happens, though. People get lulled by repetition into this place mm-hmm. where so they think something old is new because there isn't anything new. And so they get tired of what they're having, and suddenly they're like, Hey, remember this thing from 10, 20 years ago? Well, let's like it again because I haven't seen it in so long that suddenly it becomes innovative. So I love discussions like this, by the way, because it really kind of dives deep into game theory and really looking at... Yeah, but I I still think you're agreeing with me without realizing it because, like... Coming back around to like the, the World War II thing is just exactly what I'm talking about. You're going, to, you're going to iterate on that old idea in a way that no one's seen before because the technology wasn't there before. But I think it, we have seen it before. I haven't seen anything from Call of Duty World War II that looks anything different from oh, Call no, of I Duty agree. World at War but, but other we're, than playing but, in 1080p. But people who look at games the way we are are not the people that make that series a 5 million selling, 5 million selling installment versus a 10 million selling installment. Right. Like, the people you're worried about that are going to like abandon the industry and not and make the sales bad uh, because of the lack of innovation, they don't want the innovation. They want, like you say, they want they want the trend. They want the they want the the cycle. Well, the, the cycle par- is what works. Well, the other part of it too is that that's you know, why there's like so much there's so much uh, stagnation is because the the stagnation sells. Well, the other part of it too is that gaming is generational. While the average age of the gamer now is 33, more than half of the people who play games and say they're hardcore gamers, by the time they hit their 30s, they quit, and they don't play anymore. They fall out of love with it, but... And so you lose half of that market. But then there's that whole other generation mm. of kids who are coming up, who are now 15 years old, who is playing Mario and Nintendo games, and now they're old enough to play the M-rated games. They never played World at War. Mm-hmm. So to them, a World War II shooter at this point is something brand new. If they even Think care about, about that. that kind of game in the first place. Right. I mean, I you know, based on what you're saying, I look forward to the... Uh, Maybe 10 to 15 years from now, there's going to be some real hardcore M-rated endless runners. <laughs> it's possible. Because what's going to happen when a bunch of kids who grew up playing mobile games, you know, in their formative years, hit their nostalgia bump? Yeah. Or if they ever even transition over into... That's true. That's true. I mean, I feel like a um, lot of people who are on mobile are just going to stay on mobile. Or somewhat, whatever I mean, is given look, to them on my the niece device. Right, my niece is transitioning to console stuff. She that's plays good. PC stuff and console stuff. She loves the 3DS and she asked for a Switch for her birthday. Making her the first person I know who wanted a Switch for non-work purposes. <laughs> well, you are her uncle. Yes. So she's sure. on a different curve from a it's lot of people. It's in the genetics somehow, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> 
Well, and she, her father is as much of a gamer as we are. Right, well, and I'm so. sure she looks up to you, and she's like, I wish I could do that someday. And she thinks to herself, how can I become like Matt so I can do what he does? No, and... she doesn't. She 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 looks up to the Minecraft streamers. Oh, really? <laughs> she watches Minecraft YouTube. You didn't watch this show, believe you me. I don't want her watching this show. That would no. be really bad. Her, my, I think my brother-in-law, is, she's like, look, it's Uncle Matt on the thing. She's like, mm-hmm. And it goes back, <laughs> just like goes back to Jerome Assetti or whatever. Right, right. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about another game that was conspicuously missing at E3, and that game is Halo 6. Um, we talked about it, I think, in our pre-Microsoft press conference, Speaking like stuck in a hype up, yeah, hype up show <laughs> that we felt like we needed to see the next Halo as sort of that benchmark game mm-hmm. that the average person would look at and say, "Okay, yeah. I know what Master Chief looks like on Xbox One and Xbox One S." This is what yeah. he's going to look like. And it didn't even need to be Halo 6. It could have just been like a real-time demo of right. Master Chief. Like it, you, know, you didn't have to say, oh, it's Halo 6. No, just show me Master Chief on the, on the, on the X. Show me his in-game model yeah. in an environment to see what I'm going to get for my $500. Yeah. It's like you, you, know, you want to see what Mario looks like on the new Nintendo system. Yeah. You want to see what, I don't know, Nathan Drake looks like on the new <laughs> Sony system. I was like, not Crash Bandicoot. That's no. over. You know, That's even though that is Sony. A, it doesn't even, have that per- really. that character no. really that you maybe um, maybe Snake. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Not anymore. No, yeah. <laughs> maybe that. never again. Um, maybe I, although maybe that's that's a good point. Maybe like what Kojima looks like on the new Sony hardware. Right. Maybe that's the, yeah, the yeah. benchmark for that. And you <laughs> want to see what Master Chief looks like on the new Xbox. And uh, so they announced this week that we are not going to get a look at Halo Six for a quote unquote long long time. It really you know there's a re- recent interview with uh, Frank O'Connor and a couple of the other three four three. Industries guys, it really did sound like they were going back to the drawing board after five. Like they felt like five was a misfire in a lot of well, ways. Well, four Which, was a worse misfire. Four, well, four was way worse. And also, like <laughs> five, according to Pactor and a couple other people, five's doing real well in terms of being an micro online transaction, you know, micro transaction, and being a, money and, and keeping people playing and being an active and living multiplayer game. Um, so they, I assume they're just talking about the campaign, yeah, because they do. Despite how much of a multiplayer game Halo is, uh, they do place a lot of emphasis on the lore. No, you're and, right. And the it's one of, of those franchises where they they will never release a Halo without a campaign. No, like for ever. Sure. <laughs> and there are some franchises where I can't say that. Like I oh, could yeah. literally see a day where Call of Duty may not have a campaign. Yeah, I, I that would not that. shock me at all. If mm-hmm. there's eventually, but Halo, I would never see that happening. Um, and I, I honestly don't know why that is. But I also feel at like this point, no, I'm just like, ah, we might be done. I don't know. <laughs> I know. But I also feel like it's the one franchise where fans would be really angry if there weren't a yeah. campaign. Like I, people have a lot of emotions built up into Master Chief Saga. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just really all there is to it. Um, and somewhere in there, I'm sure Microsoft still wants to make that movie. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, they still talk about it every once in a mm-hmm. while, so it's still kind of on the radar. I think the bigger question here is that we have Microsoft's new console coming, Xbox One X, and uh, it needs this game. I yeah. feel like to succeed, and if it's saying, and if Microsoft is saying we're not going to see this game for a while, what in the it, world are you putting out in 2018? Right, and then how long until we play it? Because yeah. this isn't what Microsoft is not one of those. In Halo, in particular, is not a franchise where they show it and then release it three months later. That's mm-hmm. just not how it works. It's I, at least an 18 month window. Yeah, I feel like Microsoft is really starting to hit the Nintendo problem. Where the only thing to keep your system selling is whether people want to play your own internal exclusive games. 
and they just don't have the the manpower, the bandwidth to, and I don't know to keep how. up with it. And the problem is, like, at least when Nintendo finally puts a game out, like, once a quarter, it's like, you know, it's Mario or it's right. Zelda. And we're, in this, it's like, it's Crackdown. Yeah. Like, the, like, the draw just isn't there. I mean, Nintendo has survived because Nintendo's games come out on a certain quality level and have, have a built-in fan base, have a built-in interest to them, whereas... Microsoft doesn't have that. I think the biggest mistake Microsoft made was killing Fable, in all honesty. I think, I, you're, I, I, think, I think you're you're right. I think Fable... I don't was, know the biggest mistake, but killing Fable is definitely a mistake. I mean, it is... To me, it is that one franchise that did have a dedicated fan base. And, and it's not like anything else they have. Right, and it would come back every time, and it would generally at least be quality. And it also had the flexibility to be somewhat of a different experience yeah. every time. And it felt like one or two more, they might have finally gotten what it was supposed to be. Right. Which, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might have finally... <laughs> but to me, that was a huge mistake. Closing mm-hmm. Lionhead was a huge, huge mistake. Uh, because you're right, now we've got they're stuck in this rut where they have like Forza. It's like Forza is always going to be Forza. Yeah, and it's great. It's like yeah. it's good. I'm glad it's there. But, but you can't base a launch around it. You can't expect that to bring me back every fall. Like, and you can't expect it to be like a system seller, like no. like Breath of the Wild was. Like that one game that was like, oh, I need it. Like it's just mm. not, and you need more than one of those. Nintendo has more than one of those. Microsoft really doesn't. It has Halo, which mm. has fallen on kind of hard times the last yeah. couple entries. I saw a, a, an interesting, somebody said uh, on Twitter, I saw, I can't remember who it was, but he said, said the Microsoft's problem is it needs a franchise with eyes. No, you're right. Which is like, you're right. A human, every, every, face. Every, a human face. They yeah. need something to look at and identify with. Because right now it's cars and a guy in a BMX in a helmet. helmet. Yeah. And... They had that with Fable, though. Yeah, they did. I mean, that was their one they franchise. They could have had it with Crackdown, but Crackdown doesn't look very good. Yeah, it really doesn't. Um, and it also doesn't really have an iconic character, either. No. That people can relate to. It's like this... Ever evolving, shifting group of people. Are we in kind of just a general, in a general zeitgeist way? Are we really interested in a game about super powered, uh, like ultra cops? No. Is that is that really no, where we are as a nation? No, it's right really now? not. I, guess, I feel like that's not really the fantasy <laughs> at this point. I think it should be the other end, actually, <laughs> based upon the things that have been going on lately. Um, I just feel like without Halo right out of the gate, that Xbox One X is going to have a really tough time. I would agree with that. Um, and without even the prospect of, at least I know what Halo's going to look like on mm-hmm. Xbox One X. We have nothing. Especially when you're asking for that much money. That actually, whoever you got that quote from, that is a very profound statement. That Microsoft needs a character with frickin' eyes to look into for people to connect with it. That is, that's one of the best quotes about games I've heard in a long time. Um, it's absolutely 100% right. Because even Halo, it's like... Part of their of the whole gig with Halo is you don't know what Master Chief looks like. Like, mm-hmm. think about that. How absurd is that? Like, even Nintendo was with Samus eventually relented. It mm-hmm. was like, here, here she is. This is what she. Now it's not even weird to think about the time before we didn't know what she looked like. Like, there's zero suit Samus in Smash Brothers. Like, we know what she looks like now. Even Nintendo figured it out. Like, hey, having this faceless character, Mm. it worked for the 16-bit era, but we need our users to connect with this person that's behind this helmet, and Microsoft still hasn't figured that out. So, I really just, you know, we're a week out of E3, and I was talking about at the beginning of the show, you know, after kind of the dust settles, and you actually kind of catch up on a little sleep, and you actually have a couple decent meals, and talk to the people who actually give a crap about you, 
and you kind of get back to reality a little bit because you do kind of live in this fantasy E3 bubble for like two weeks during like the prep for the show and then doing the show and not sleeping and then you have three days to recover from all that. You start to see things a little more clarity and look, I wasn't hype on Xbox One X after the press conference and now that I'm a week out from the show, it just seems like even more mm-hmm. of a disaster yeah. to me. I mean, I w- and look, like I would not buy an, X- an Xbox One X, an Xbox, Xbox. Uh, <laughs> for Halo 6. You know, like, like Halo doesn't hold cachet with me as much anymore. It's I think a lot be, of people would It's going to be a struggle to even bother to play Halo 6 yeah. whenever it comes out for me. But... You know, if we're, ta- I mean, we're look, talking, we're talking about a macro sort of, by the franchise. but we're talking about like a macro sort of like, are people going to buy it? Is are the sales numbers going to be worthwhile? Like, and I think like, you know, having that halo tease there would help that. Like, for the, sure. if, if people could look forward and see that, especially now, if you're saying it's way, way out, that means because of the the, the time spacing, their big quote unquote game for the end of next year is probably going to be Gears Five. Yeah, and I don't know if that has any weight to it anymore and like halo's lost some 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 punch no question but i still think halo is a bigger bigger punch than gears of war ever was. oh for sure still it still is bigger than gears of war without a doubt i mean you look at like nintendo with switch um it had the benefit of having one of the most highly reviewed games ever at its launch and even people who maybe waffled on oh well you know i was never a huge zelda fan i kind of believe these reviews but I don't really know if I want to buy a system just for Zelda. They at least had Mario to look forward to and be like, well, if mm-hmm. I don't like Zelda that much, I still got Mario at the end of the year, and, it, yeah. and it's worth it. And you're not seeing either of those with Xbox One X. Yeah. Although I think, you know, it's, again, if you want to make the, I think a one-to-one comparison on that with Nintendo and Microsoft would be closer to Halo versus Fable. Whereas Fable, you know, because that's the other thing about Mario and Zelda is uh, they are, you know, huge. You know, the two biggest games Nintendo has other than Pokemon when they don't fully have Pokemon because the Pokemon company owns that. But, like, the the strength of Zelda and Mario in the same year is that they're very, very, very different games. Yeah. And you get two very different experiences that are both really high quality. Whereas, like, let's say you release Halo and Gears of War in the same year. Is that not all the that same different? impact? No, yeah, it's not. It's not, not the yeah, same it's impact, just like yeah. shooting things from a different perspective, basically yeah, yeah. at best. And like, whereas like, okay, give me Gears of War five and a, fa- a new Fable, a Fable four, or a Fable right. reboot, or something like that. Then, then you, then I'm interested because yeah. there's a variety to, to look at there. There's two very different games you're out, in, but I just feel like Microsoft's offerings for the last five years, like fe- I just Longer. they constantly feel the same game in a different it's in a, a different cycle. coat. Yeah. You know, like it's yeah, you're right. Literally with Forza in some ways, in terms of just a new coat of paint. But like, yeah. when you know, is Gears all that different from Crackdown? Is it, is it a big man with a gun shooting stuff? Like, yeah. there's got to be more to it. And then you're killing Scalebound, you're killing Fable Heroes. Like, you're you're pulling away the things that give me a different different kind of vibe. And I don't know what you're replacing it with because at this point the answer is nothing. And that Fable game was done pretty much. It was yeah. in beta. That's insane. It really. I don't know what Microsoft is thinking. I'm surprised they didn't at least like recycle it into like a like a twenty dollars single player right. game or something. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, sure. Like, give us what's there. Some people will pay for it, and yeah. like, it was set up to be free to play anyway. You might as well put it out there and make yeah. a little bit of money. And maybe back. I don't do a retail release. Just what's do it a... going to cost you in server costs to run that game? Yeah, like it already built a community. A lot of people were disappointed whenever they found out it was canceled. Who had been playing the beta? So. And that was at least innovative. At least it had taken Fable in a new direction. Although I would be totally fine if they just made a new Fable. Yeah. With the new plot and a new setting, like... Like, a, with a little more, you know, a new approach to it, kind of a different angle on it. 
again, iterate it. Yeah. Take, take, take what worked, use that, make it better, throw out what didn't work, and there's a lot that didn't work. And there's also a lot of leeway with that franchise. Yeah. I mean, Fable could go any direction. Oh, yeah. We already, I mean, you see that in Fable 3, which I think had a lot of problems, but like the fact that they decided to just go to Egypt, basically, right. and have this whole new area. I mean, you could expand that world out in so many different ways. Even the it, name is so innocuous. It's like Fable. Yeah, Fable. It's it's mean Fable. Anything. It could mean anything. And but... it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting the way I got a war is, where it's like, yeah, they're taking him to a different pantheon, taking him to Norse mythology. Like, he can go anywhere. Yeah. Like, people have talked about that for years on, on the God of War games, especially when they get tired of playing the same God of War game over and over again. Like, yeah. can't he kill different gods for once? And here, he, here we go. And, like, Fable has that same strength where it's like, it can do anything. It wasn't, you know, his name wasn't Ares. His yeah. name is God of War. And there's gods of war all over the world in mythology. Yeah. So you can take that stuff anywhere. And I think it's time for Fable to use. But again, like, you, like I, I, when I mentioned it in our pre-E3 stuff, you, I think you asked, who's going to make it? And, well, that's the question, isn't it? Yeah. Microsoft has the money to start a studio. True. A successful studio. True. Give it to Ubisoft. Give it to anybody. Anybody. <laughs> like, seriously. There's a million things you can do to make sure that that franchise survives. So, it, you know, thinking back to Microsoft's press conference, how it started, it's like a 44 games that are exclusive or timed exclusive. Then 22 exclusive games. And you're mm. just like, where are all those games? Why, if that is the truth, why have I do I have no excitement for Xbox One X at all? Like, it's mind-boggling yeah. to me. All right, let's move on to our last topic of this week's show. How about another Sunset Overdrive? Yeah. Nobody cared about that game. No, I love I love that game. It was but... a great game. Uh, deserved better than it got, but ultimately it didn't sell. And that is no. the death knell for any video game franchise. Oh, yeah. It doesn't sell, I no think, one's going to pick it I up. I think we are going to see some lessons from that in Spider-Man. Though. Oh, I think, yeah, I think we already kind of have, yeah. actually. Just even in that demo they showed at E3. If you have an Xbox One and you haven't played Sunset Overdrive, play Sunset Overdrive. It's really good. And maybe that is part of what maybe turned Microsoft off to these new ideas. I mean, that game tanked so hard. Real and, hard. And I'm sure they gave Insomniac a boatload of money mm-hmm. for the development of that game. And, and it there's lost just, its there's ass no, on it. Here, the other thing about Sunset Overdrive is like, I, like the, 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 the trailers and stuff, like the E3 marketing and all that stuff, turned me completely off yeah, it. Yeah. It just felt... It was too forced and too yeah, and then like ten minutes after I started to play, I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah, like, I know. And it's totally not what the it marketing was, material it made it out to be. It was really badly presented. Yeah, it was all like it was like a Mountain Dew commercial. Yeah, that's pretty much yeah. how they marketed that that game. So, and the other, I think the other mistake. And if there's they anything made, we know, is that gamers hate Mountain, Mountain Dew. Dew and Doritos. So <laughs> they worship at the Pope's house, but they don't buy it. Uh, and the other thing is, like, I, I think uh, it's a mistake to have the crux of your your you know your CG trailer reveal uh, to be a guy making fun of the games I like to play. Yeah. Where they spent the whole time like kind of mocking the the Call of Duty style yeah, things. Yeah. Like, hey, don't alienate your entire audience yeah. uh, by saying like, hey, like your game sucks and you should play us instead because we're wacky. Or, or, right. Like, or just maybe just pick one yeah. <laughs> instead of going on a list. But now we're off on the thing. It's like it's so hard to like focus on one thing. I think Microsoft is doing wrong. Yeah, it's it really like, is. It's and like I don't know what happened. Like I don't. I, it has to the be the fall like, was fast and swift. Yeah, it's first party software. It always comes down to it. What exclusives yeah. do you got? And it just doesn't have any. And it doesn't look like it's got a lot of compelling ones for the near future. I, I just love like to have an E3 one of these years where I just or I don't feel like where when I think about you asked me who won who won E3 of the major console makers, and I actually have to think about Microsoft. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not, in terms of the software, it's just not there. It, it hasn't really been for a long I, time. I can't remember Microsoft winning in an E3 in forever. 
Mm. Xbox 360 era. Yeah, 360 era, sure. Like, the, and Microsoft's conference used to be where the WoW stuff happened. Like, you remember the was, was 2007, I think, was the one where they took everything to Santa Monica and ruined it all. Yeah. But like that was at that was at the Santa Monica High School Auditorium, and that was the one where they they opened with um, uh, Modern Warfare 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, was Modern Warfare Modern Warfare 2? It was Modern Warfare because it's 2007. Yeah, you're right. And it was it was yeah. from the Chernobyl level, and yeah. like the guys are talking, and and then the, in the ghillie suits, and they just stand up, and the whole audience it went, erupted. Oh. Yeah. Like it was, it was like it was just a gas. Yeah, like you yeah. could hear, and you couldn't hear, you can't hear it on the videotape. Like when you watch the video of yeah. it, because the crowd's not mic, because they never mic the crowd, because. But um, <laughs> but I was you know standing there and hearing the whole crowd go, oh, it was it was yeah. like a huge moment, and like it wasn't micro, you know, it was as Activision, it was right. Call of Duty, but it's like. That was the kind of thing you expected from the Microsoft conference, and it's but just see, hasn't been there forever. But see, Microsoft's even lost that, too. Oh, yeah, because they lost, lost it to like, Sony. the big third-party stuff. Sony's taking control of all that as How well. How in the world is Destiny at Sony now? Because like, it's, it's, it's like, think about the 360 era. There's no way anyone would have played an online-only game anywhere but the 360 if they had a choice. And, and the, now the, it's completely turned around. The really crazy part is that Microsoft... If you think about the 360 era, it, it did everything possible to try and fail. Yeah. I mean, its first 10 million consoles were junk that had to be replaced. Mm-hmm. And it survived all that to thrive. And now it's the hardware's fine. It's, <laughs> it's the content that it can't get it's right. It's so small. It's crazy. All right, let's move on. Our hey, last rid topic. Of the power brick. It's just, yeah. So E3 is over. Uh, inevitably... Some games are going to slip through the cracks. Um, when there's literally, especially with mobile now and every, in VR, there's just thousands and mm-hmm. thousands of games that are at E3 each year. And the indie scene becoming so huge. I mean, yeah. you're almost hitting the point where indie can't be called indie. You know, Not like really. There's so, there's so much crossover and where the funding comes from and like and promotional I would make, stuff. And, I would make the argument that 60% of the show floor was indie games. Yeah, like if you go to Microsoft booth... More, probably 70% of the games you could actually play were indie games. I'm thankful for Microsoft which, for doing And it's also that. a fact, because like the, the B and C list stuff that went away from the major publishers after it became too expensive to let something like that fail, like, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, and that and that and the indie scene kind of filled, filled that it. niche. Yeah. And the thing is, I think they're filling it with way better games yeah. than what we would get they're not from as the flashy. B tier. Yeah. But yeah, it's flashy, they're, but they're more compelling, more emotionally moving, without a doubt. Yeah, and, and ultimately, I think that is what players look for. Mm-hmm. I, I think really, like even though the surveys we just saw, like people are like, "Oh, graphics is one of the first things I care right. about." I don't. I still disagree with that. I don't think that. I that's still the case. care about graphics. I but care, you know, but, but like next Machina's graphics are awesome. Yeah. And like, do they? Are, you know, are they cutting edge? I need you know my Titan X to like you know sweat to make, run it. No, no, no cutscenes. Like, no cutscenes. No, no problem. <laughs> but I think, but it looks great. It I does, think it looks, yeah. you know, Like art style and like, execution are way more important than like bleeding edge polygons. You're absolutely right. Or voxels, damn it. Voxels. So anyway, we want to talk about a couple games that uh, caught our eye at the show that uh, may have kind of slipped through the cracks for you, or you just didn't notice, or maybe we didn't cover it. God forbid. Um, but, uh, and I, look, I was just on Podcast Reload this last week, which is a Civic Community podcast, so my pick may actually be a bit redundant for some of you, but the irony is that Matt wanted to pick the game as well. So I, yeah. And there's a, look, there's a lot of people that well, watch look, Game The game, you, the game you picked is kind of a no-brainer for yeah. the subject, though, because it, it really was amazing and ignored. Yeah. 
Um, and then, look, a lot more people watch Game Face than watch Podcast Reload. You guys may not even watch that episode. So I'm going to talk about the same game again. Some of you know what I'm going to talk about. But mm. Matt, what game did you pick as a game that kind of slipped yeah. through the cracks? Well, I was going to pick your game. Yeah. And then my second pick would probably be Nino Kuni too. But we already talked about that last week. A lot, week. yeah. So my, my pick is uh, Matterfall. Yeah. Which, which is... Which I didn't uh, even realize it was at E3 again. <laughs> I really didn't. Um, now, this is Housemark again. The same people that made Next Machina. Yeah. Uh, they're on a roll. They're on a roll. Uh, and this is a side-scrolling, platforming, twin-stick shooter within sort of the Metroid vein. With voxels. With voxels. <laughs> um, As you can see right there. And so basically... Um, this is not the game, though, right? This is all no, CG. No, this, this is all CG. The, ga- the game is basically uh, is a, two, two D- is a side-scrolling Metroid-like. It's probably the closest you get to it. It looks yeah. like Metroid. Um, or similar to, like, Shadow... What was that one? The... the 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 um, by Chair Interactive uh, it, on the 360 it was uh, Shadow Oh Complex Shadow Complex yeah, yeah it's like sort of like that but it's, you can you shoot with the twin with the right stick so it's it's still it's twin, a twin stick, stick controls <laughs> um, there's a little bit of Ikaruga in it in that like your shielding that matters what color the 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 your character versus the the environment of the bullets are. Um, you can use the gun to create platforms in special areas. It was kind of like, you know, so you can jump up and down through areas. It's kind of a maze sort of thing. And you use it to bust barriers. Uh, purple is another, is bad again. Like, just like things, <laughs> things are encased in purple and you blow it up and there's a guy gets free. And so, so um, there's a lot of demos of this. Like, if you watch actually the, uh, the Sony streams demo of this, uh, with the... the we actually the, have a demo It's, it's really good. To, yeah, uh, I, I, I definitely saw it on, on, uh, on Sifted, a uh, couple of them. I just haven't been able to watch it, unfortunately. And it's, uh, it's just really cool. It's not that complex. You're not looking at it and be like, oh my god, there's like nothing I've ever seen before. No, it's a, it's a, it's a refinement. Is it like a shmup, though? Is it a bullet hell type? There scenario? are bullet hell elements, but okay. in this, you know, kind of in this, you know, like near has bullet hell elements, yeah, yeah. but it's still an action RPG. Right, right. Um, it's like that. So there's bullet hell elements, especially in like the boss stuff with this, but it's more of a, a you know, in the in the way that this is, you know, next Machin is their take, there's twin stick shooter take on Robotron, uh, with modern lessons to it. Uh, this is like their twin stick shooter take on Metroid. Interesting, is what I'd call it. Um, it reminds me. It reminds me of that. It's got a little bit of Ikaruga to it. It's got a little bit of uh, Outland to it. You remember that yeah, Ubisoft yeah. game? Yep. Um, and it just, you know, again, uh, it looks cool. It looks like it has that satisfying feel that their their voxel based games have. And because it's Housemark, I have no doubt it will be awesome. And you should keep an eye on it. No one talked about it at all during. They the really didn't. It completely flew under the radar. Uh, Housemark is turning into one of those developers. Yeah. Where every game it makes, you should pay attention to yeah, it. Yeah, I think. And it I is also so. starting to ramp up its production. There was two games debuted by Housemark at E3, mm-hmm. in addition to the stuff we already knew about. So. Uh, it yeah. is quickly rising up the ranks, at least to the top tier of indie guys. For sure. And, and they I have mean, their own style, too. It's like they're not like doing like walking simulators or emotional adventure games mm-hmm. or first-person like survival horror games. And they're, just, they're the best at what they do. And they stick right to now. it. Yeah. And they know that, but they don't make the same game over and over again. Yeah. They use the same concept... But they apply it to different classic genres, and they see what they come up with. And that's I love a, that. That's a really exciting. I really way love. To I think it. that is such a cool way to develop yep. games. You have these little elements that are kind of like your tenets mm-hmm. that you're always going to stick to, and you're always going to find a way to get those into your games while still going across the vast sort of swath of genres mm-hmm. out there. So, 
I'm all over Housemark right now. They got about three genres left, yeah. and then they're <laughs> going to have to start repeating themselves. <laughs> uh, and then actually, my pick and the pick that Matt wanted to choose as well uh, for uh, misconnection at E3 is Hunt Showdown. And again, if you've already listened to or watched uh, Podcast Reload, you're, it's going to be a bit of a repeat for you. But this is a game that, to me, Crytek completely dropped the ball on it. Oh, well, E3. Outland was Housemark. According, oh, to, wow. according to the impartialists <laughs> in the chat. So that would explain that. That would yeah. explain it. That's great. Uh, we're going to talk about Hunt Showdown. And to me, Crytek had to have left E3 just being like, man, we screwed up so bad. Because I managed to go into this demo just because a friend of mine basically tipped me off and said, hey, mm. there's this game that Crytek's showing. You should go check it out. It's one of the more unique things I've seen at the show. I'm very thankful that I got that tip because I then went over and was able to, to watch this played in person. And essentially what you're seeing right now is what I saw at E3. Uh, I think another YouTuber or a YouTube channel had got in and uh, recorded some footage. But this is the actual demo that they basically showed everybody uh, behind closed doors at the show. That's, that was a huge mistake. This game should have been blown out mm-hmm. at E3. Everybody should have been coming out of the show talking about this game. I mean, part of, I think part of the problem here is that it's PC only. I guess. Uh, I mean, you know it's going to come to consoles, though. In some form, yeah. Yeah, I mean, right now, the way it looks, I don't think it would <laughs> run on a console. Maybe Xbox One X? I don't know. If, Met- if Metro Exodus can run, this is this is uh, not crazy beyond that. Yeah. This game is gorgeous, though, it's, on top it, of it all. I mean, it's Crytek. And, yeah. And, of course, Crytek also seems like it's not in the greatest position right now, so yeah. it's... Be nice to see them get some attention and some really some sales. stupid name. It's yeah. like the dumbest name for I get, a video game. Every ever. single time I mention, even when I went to like pick it, at, you know, first you texted me saying pick the thing. I was I'm like, ah, oh, I had to go to my computer and go to Sifted and look up what it's called because <laughs> yeah. it's the most generic, boring title ever. Like, and it started life as a different game that had some similar elements. And yeah, it, it was they announced it like 2014 or yeah, something. Yeah, and they've just kind of morphed it into this game here. And so what it is is it's an asymmetrical multiplayer game that up to five teams of two play um and by asymmetrical it, it's a little bit like evolve in that there's a main boss target mm-hmm. like in that, this demo they're, they're hunting for a spider right monster thing. right whereas and, but they spend a lot of time avoiding the other player teams right well it depends yeah but, but like they'll, they'll see like lights or gunfire and be like all right let's go this let's go over yeah here. so you ha- stealth is a big part of this knowing when to use your weapons knowing when to use your lights uh, because it's really dark, and so you can see how easy it is to see someone using their flashlight. And it's competitive and cooperative, and that's kind of where the rub comes in, because the ultimate goal is to find the boss and kill the boss and be the team that kills the boss. But you kind of need the other teams to survive to the boss fight to help you kill the boss, because one team of two is going to have a hell of a time defeating the boss. So you don't want to completely wipe out all the other teams because then you will have problems killing the boss Mm -hmm. so it's this sort of balancing act that you have to maintain between keeping enough of the enemy teams around uh, to help you ultimately complete the objective but taking out enough of them that there aren't so many that the end of the uh the game doesn't become a total cf Mm -hmm. uh i've not played for a game like and you also have rank and file enemies that are scattered out throughout the environments to keep the tension up that also make you make these tough decisions on whether you should attack them or fight them. Because if you do that, you're signaling to the other four teams, hey, I'm over mm-hmm. here and I'm fighting something, which could make the other team come over and be like, well, we'll wait for the, until they're distracted by these zombie enemies 
and we'll just swoop in for the easy kill. There's all these mind games that go on. Uh, in there's, like, there's like sections where you hear them, the the players saying, saying like, just use your knife. Right. Don't, like, don't, yeah, don't, don't shoot. Yeah, because the muzzle flash could mm-hmm. send an, a, one of the other teams over to get you. And you also get clues. So we just saw there, you get a clue of where the boss is. You have no idea where the boss is. It's not like you start each match and you're like, oh, the boss is here. And we, you have to discover clues. They'll show flashes of the boss. And based upon those images that you see, you have to kind of disseminate uh, where the boss might be. And then once you discover the boss, it's kind of a race to kill the boss. But once you kill the boss, it's not over either. It's kind of like the division and that you have to be extracted from each map. So there's so many inflection points in each match where you can decide to attack the enemy or hide and wait or wait in ambush. I mean, you could conceivably wait until everything happens and just hide in the bushes and wait for them to get extracted after killing the boss and just kill them right there. Like, there's so many different strategies to this game, and I think that's what sets it apart from all the failures that have been the asymmetrical multiplayer games in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you pile on the awesome tech and the setting and the mood and everything else, and literally, like, this game should have been in the top five nominees for Game of the Show at every publication. And the only publication that I have seen after looking at everyone's awards that even recognized this game when they put out their awards initially was PC Gamer. And so PC Gamer obviously has a bit of an advantage in that it only covers PC games. But none of the other big sites even acknowledged this game. Now they are. Now they're starting to talk about it. During E3, the only place I saw this game mentioned was in Sifted's feed. Right. Yep. And uh, and that's just because we curate everything, right. you know. And like a lot of websites, they have to pick and choose while the show is going on. For us, it's just like, man, everything, gimme, gimme, gimme. And so we managed to kind of expose this to some of our users a little early. But I am all over this game, man. I am so excited for this game. Like this is the type of game that gets you to upgrade like your graphics card, mm-hmm. um, provided they don't announce it for Xbox One X before it ever it ever comes out, which is highly possible, I yeah. think. It would be a good thing for them to have. In fact, that would be something that Microsoft... In fact, if Microsoft were smart right now, it would lock down the exclusive That's on true. this game. That's very true. It would lock it down and say, hey... That, X- would, that would be a very strong argument for me to get an Xbox it One X. It absolutely would. Lock that sucker down, Xbox One X exclusive for six months, then mm-hmm. let them release it on PC as a cross-platform play. Which or, is, even if, or even if they do release it on PC at the same time, I'm going to know a lot more people playing on Xbox than on PC. Yeah, but I mean, look, with Microsoft's new program where it's like Windows 10 and Xbox, right. yeah. it's like it's a natural fit. It has no publisher right now. Crytek, this is a Crytek 100% game. It is just, it's the ball is on the T to take this game right now. And I would not be shocked. (laughs) Seriously, though. I mean, it could be. I was just thinking, like, you said that, and I thought of, like, you know, golf. And then I'm like, no, it's it's Microsoft, maybe it's T-ball. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I am really excited for this game. I'm glad that we're able to kind of expose it to you guys on Game Face so you guys can check it out and start getting excited for it. I think right now there's... Like a teaser trailer and two gameplay walkthroughs up on Sifted curated for it. And I also really like that the spider they fight moves as fast as a spider does. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, not oh. like this slow, like lumbering, like whatever thing. And I wouldn't be surprised either if the bosses become oh, more... Oh, where'd it go? Right. Where is it? There yeah. it is. It's, like, <laughs> it's so fast, it's really, yeah. It's, it's really cool. Yep. So, yeah, you, once you beat the spider, you collect the bounty, but then you have to extract that bounty out. And so, it's a, look, it's a race to get the bounty, and it's a race to get to the extraction point. And maybe there's someone sitting there yeah, waiting. And because of how you banish 
Yeah. Like, it's real obvious to everybody where you are. Yeah, because when you do stuff in this game, it alerts people on the map to where mm -hmm. you are. And that just helps build the tension and the unexpected nature of the game. It's awesome. It's crazy that this game was at E3 and just went completely under the radar. So, uh... Definitely one to keep an eye on. Uh, this might be a game that you might want to follow on Sifted. Uh, just go to his game page and click the gear next to his title and click follow. That way, anytime something new published for this game is curated to Sifted, it will pop up to the top of your Sift. Um, I have a feeling Crytek fielding lots of calls for this game right now. Not just from Microsoft, but from lots of publishers. I mean, you don't get games of this quality uh, and this innovative just sitting out there without somebody publishing it mm. very often. So... If it doesn't get snapped up by Microsoft, it's going to get snapped up by somebody yeah. and very quick. So there you go. Those are our undercover uh, misconnections for E3 2017. It's time to go on to our trailer of the week, which is your cue to start getting questions into the chat. Um, and we realize this is a little bit of a shorter episode this week, so we'll answer a few more questions than normal. Um, so make sure you get those in. Our trailer of the week is was another late addition to the E3 media storm. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, addresses something I think we were asking the question of during E3. Yeah. Which was, where was gameplay for this? Right. So The Evil Within 2, they de debuted it with two great trailers. I mean, they're mm -hmm. crazy. But they didn't show the game actually being played. And then E3 ends, and two days later, Bethesda puts out the first gameplay trailer. And because a lot of you guys, I know, you left the site after E3 was over, you're like, I'd either I need a break or I think I've seen everything... I wanted to get this into Game Face because we know this is the one thing you guys, all you guys watch. Um, and so here is the first gameplay trailer for The Evil Within 2. excited or less excited now that you've seen it? Yeah, the same. Really? I don't. I did never played within very much. Oh, okay. Didn't find it particularly compelling. I'm not a survival horror guy. Nah, I'm more excited after seeing the gameplay. Stuff. I, like, I mean, I like I like the look of it. Uh, very Silent Hill. Very uh, Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. But, and if um, we're not going to get a new Silent Hill, then might as well. Yeah. Hopefully, they let this one have enough time to bake. Yeah. The, the first one feels kind of. Unfinished, yeah. In a way, a little, a little, a little rough around the edges. Snuck, snuck out a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
It was cheap during the E3 sale on PlayStation Network, though, so maybe some people picked it up and can try it. But uh, this one's right around the corner. I hope, I hope it's better. Um, the other trailer, I think, that came out this week I was interested in was Hellblade. Yeah, that was a great trailer as well. Uh, which, yeah. does, again, doesn't show you really much game, any gameplay, but it does have a really creepy giant baby phantom <laughs> monster thing. It does, so. yeah. That's one of those wait-for-it trailers. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good trailer. Be patient and wait right till the end there. Uh, let's see. Here's a really long question from uh, Eric Estrada, 12. How do you guys feel about Sony starting stating that they are not going the yearly iteration route for PlayStation and that and that there will be a PS5? Uh, fine, I guess. I mean, I hope they keep the backwards compatibility, you know, the continuity of software. Like right. because of the architecture, I see no reason why they couldn't. You know, it, you know, basically you could you could have called the Xbox One X the Xbox Four, or, or just whatever. called it the Xbox. Yeah, because <laughs> really, that's what we're getting to at yeah. this point. I mean, basically, I think it's up. Just one it's platform. entirely up to the the console manufacturers now when the next generation begins. Because it's not. I, it sounds like I sounds like we're going to get, you know, you know, inc- inc- incremental upgrades of the hardware regularly to the point that you're never going to really see that jump again. Yeah. So it's basically going to be up to the the manufacturers themselves to decide when to slap that new number on. I mean, these have become PCs. Yeah. I mean, basically what it is is Sony PC, right. a.k.a. PlayStation whatever, Microsoft PC, which is redundant, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. But they're just PCs now. Yeah. Like, and they're a platform. So you have your real PC that you've been playing for 30 years or whatever, and now you have your Microsoft PC and your Sony PC, and there are exclusive games for each one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good. That's a good thing. Like, I, closing off a platform is so 1990s. Like, mm-hmm. it just, there's no need to say, you can't play this old game on this new console anymore. There just isn't. Um, and look, while I think Sony, I think it's absolutely what's going to happen. And while Sony may call it the PlayStation 5, it it's really doesn't matter. No. So what, so There's what no you, way Sony's going to cut off PS4 software from no. playing on the PlayStation 5. It will still work, and right. you'll still have PlayStation Now for stuff before that, and you'll, right. you'll still do classics and mm-hmm. stuff. I'm curious, like, what do you think, like, when Sony decides to put out something they call the PS5, what's going to justify the 5? The hardware that's inside, yeah. really. That's it. And everyone's gonna, it's going to be a pissing contest between Xbox mm-hmm. One X and whatever. Because like, presumably whatever the PlayStation 5 is is going to have to be vastly improved over the Pro, but also you know some kind of step or two beyond the Xbox One X. Yep. And then presumably the next Xbox will do the same. You'll just constantly be doing this leapfrog. Yeah, thing. it's just going to be keep leaping over mm-hmm. top of each other. But no matter what, you're going to be playing the same games you were playing on your prior console. Mm-hmm. So... I love it. I think this is great. I think we finally hit the sweet spot for consoles. As long as they keep doing this, I'm going to be one happy camper. We're going to get more powerful hardware. You can buy it if you if you can afford it and you want to. If you don't, you're fine playing on the older hardware. Um, I mean, I think the, the one thing is, at a certain point, you're not going to be able to play the PS5 games on your PS4. Right. That's sort yeah. of... The drawing, the where the line is drawn. That, I mean, I, I would guess that is what the number is going to. That is at. what it'll mean. Yeah. That's when you you won't be able to play like PS5 games on your right. PS4. That's when they'll call it the PS5. Yeah. When they finally reach that point where they're like, okay, this game is not going to work on PS4. That's when it's called PS5. Mm-hmm. So, I think we'll get there probably in two years. That sounds about right. That's what I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Right now, they're 
they're in the harvest stage of that console. They're not going to kill it early. So, uh, let's see. Justin Horman, were there any games that you think were shown too much at E3? Like, while it was showing, you were like, okay, I got it, next. Mm. Crackdown 3. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I got that the first time I saw, like, the teaser trailer. I mean, I, I could have done without the Porsche reveal. Yeah. Uh, Call of Duty World War II, that's another one, like... They didn't show it that much. No, I just, you know, I guess like. But if you're curating content for Sifted, there was a ton right. of Call of Duty World War II content out there. But it's just, like, it's like I, I don't, you know, nobody, you don't have to watch it. Right. You know, it's like yeah, it's yeah. like it's like they showed a ton of Mario Odyssey, but like it just showed it in a venue where you were only going to see it if you're interested. And they like, also showed different things each time. Actually, yeah. I think I figured out the game that fits this perfectly, and that is Assassin's Creed Origins. Mm. Yeah, they didn't really have much to show beyond that trailer and that 30-minute gameplay demo. That same area that they had. Mm -hmm. And so because they went to every stage and did a demo at every stage mm -hmm. that for Microsoft and Sony and then IGN and GameSpot and on and on and yep. on, yeah, that game started to wear thin after a while. It's just because they only had so much of a demo to show. And after you, when you show it like eight or nine times, you have really squeezed it dry mm -hmm. Of sort of everything you can see from it. So I think that's the one game I would say. Still like it though. Still hyped for it. I'm excited for that game. Uh, Kills with Kindness. Do you think the Xbox is basically a version of Steam at this point? They are not making anything new and seem happy to provide a platform and profit from other devs' work. Are they? <laughs> they are. I mean, you know, Microsoft, we've said this before, when it releases its, its monthly sales figures or whatever, it says how many people were on Xbox Live. Mm -hmm. And because that's the steady money stream, right. no matter what. Like, if you break down the annual cost of Xbox Live, whatever they're making per month off of Xbox Live, that is that steady money mm -hmm. that's come in all the time. And I don't think it's by design, because if it were by design, it would be like Valve, and it wouldn't be making games at all or investing in games at all. I just think it's found itself in this position where it looks like it's trying to be Steam, but mm -hmm. it's not. Uh, it just doesn't have the software to make it appear like it's not Steam. Uh, I just think it's just poor planning, uh, investing in the wrong things, cutting the wrong things. Um, you know, one of my predictions before E3 was that Scalebound would be an Xbox One X game. That makes too much sense. Like, mm -hmm. And it didn't happen. And that seems to be uh, a common theme with Microsoft anymore, is that uh, things that seem to make the most sense aren't necessarily the decisions that it makes. So. Yeah. I don't know. Starting with their OS. I agree that it looks like it's turning into Steam, but I think it was not by design at all. I think it's no, just... I think that's just the best they can do right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, here's a good one. The Legacy. What are your thoughts on Atari making another console? Don't. Why? <laughs> Why? Did we learn nothing Why? from the Jaguar? <laughs> well, they're not making a new console. No, though. they're just it's redoing just a, the 20, 2600. It's just a micro console. It's like you can already get that. Like, I yeah. saw one of those on the shelf at Target the other day. There are Atari collections already. Yeah. You can just... You can buy them on eBay for a dollar. Yeah. Like, literally, a dollar. You can buy, like, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, Atari collection. Yeah. Also, let's, let's be honest... It's not a lot of games from them no. worth playing. I mean, River Raid, Pitfall, Barnstormer. I liked uh, Atlantis Attacks. 
I don't even think I even played that one. That was Activision. That was one of the first Activision. Activision like, made the best games. Was for Atlantis Atari Atta- I think it was just called Atlantis. Actually, Atlantis Attacks was a uh, Marvel crossover. Uh, it was just, it was like this. You had a, like a like a spaceship's flying saucer thing, and you pushed which direction to shoot up, down, left. Oh right. yeah, I played that. And yeah. they just come from the sides. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember that. That was like the simplest game. It was, ever. It was like a little asteroid just came. No, and I remember the last yeah. one would come fast and then go real slow. Yeah. So go, and then you'd have like a minute for it to go that last like in. <laughs> I forgot what that game was called. What was it called again? Atlantis. Oh, that's was right. Atlant- no, no, that was Cosmic was- Arc. Cosmic Arc. Atlantis was yeah. you had a little flying saucer over like a kind of a missile command yeah. instead. Yeah. There was Yar's Revenge was pretty good. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean, there's... You should play, everyone who's too young to remember should play Pac-Man on the 2600 just to understand... The disappointment. How far, to understand why when I look at ports of things, I don't always just instantly hate them. This <laughs> yeah, is like, yeah. To maybe understand why people like me and Shane, to, to, like, even the bad games today are kind of miracles. Yeah, they are. Like, <laughs> like yeah, Golden yeah. Axe Beast Rider is terrible to, to go back to that. But if you showed that to like 1982 me, I'd be like, this is the greatest thing I've ever yeah, seen. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, just, I think Atari's just trying. Think it's looking at the NES Classic and saying, "Oh my God!" Like if we do, yeah, and it's making the error that they were as important as the NES Classic in terms of nostalgia. And it's like, look, I grew up. I was the right age at that time, at the same age as some of these kids were for the with NES. The NES, yeah. And the NES is just a, a totally it's a whole different other level, beast. Yeah. It's a, a, there's, well, a, there's a reason why the Atari 2600 almost killed the gaming right. industry, and the NES saved the gaming industry. Yeah, it's plain not as good. that. Don't care. Yeah, that's. Oh man, those are the days. Uh, let's see. That was actually asked a couple times. They can stay the days. Uh, the the impartialist. How long do you think the older companies in the industry can rely on nostalgia for a steady stream of money? Seems to me that we get. As we get older, I realize younger gamers have little interest in the classics we grew up with, and after our fourth or fifth or sixth time buying Mario Brothers 3, I think some older gamers are getting bored of playing old games too. Do you think Nintendo uh, Virtual Console games will always sell? At what point does it stop being worth the effort for developers? Great question. Long, but great. Yeah, I, th- I think, like, you know, specifically the Virtual Console, that will always be free money. From a, from a certain segment because, of the yeah, audience. Yeah, we also have to remember that there's always someone turning eight years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, us older folks, yes, we will stop. But I have already stopped rebuying those games, by the way. I do not. Like, that. I think the Wii was the last time for me. That was the yeah. final... I paid the, like the dollar upgrade fee for a couple of my yeah. favorites on the Wii U, yeah. and that's about it. And I, for bu- me, I the bought. Wii, um, I have I like, every... I've bought some of these games like five times. I can't well, do I mean, it. I think at this point I have every Zelda game pre-Wind Waker on my 3DS in some form or another. So why do I need anything else again? It's like... I'm it, done. It's not worth it at this point. So, I already... I have, like, the, link, to the, link to the Past, like, three different ways right now. You know, yeah. it's like, I've got a Virtual Console copy, I got the, the Game Boy Advance one, I got the Super Nintendo version. Like, why do I need another one? I'm done. I I'm can, not buying I, any of those old Nintendo games again. And I think a lot of older folks are that way, so you're right. Mm-hmm. But... There's always these younger kids that are coming into the industry every day. Someone like I, I think said, there's also like the eight. hardcore audience that will you know every time they buy a new Nintendo system they'll just rebuy the Virtual Console library because that's what they do because they're marks and like and it, yeah <laughs> I mean really that's what it is it is and like and you know it's always going to in the end I think be profitable to 
oh, yeah. make Nintendo's the tiny minimal going. effort it takes to move that to your oh, new system yeah. and let it just oh, rake Nintendo's in. not stopping. Move, move your 25-year-old game to your new system and charge $7.99 for it and yeah. watch the money roll in, yeah. basically. I, mean, I'm just, I just think the older folks I, are over it. They're most of them anyway. But there's and also the nostalgia thing is just going to move. Them. It's just going to move up. It's just going to, you know, the frame of reference is going to move. I mean, that's why uh, Microsoft paid $4 billion for Minecraft because in 20 years they're going to be rolling in money from all the 30-something kids born in... You know, 1997 that are like want to relive their Minecraft days. That and again, new kids are born every day, yep. and, and they're going to want to introduce that to their kids. And and they're scaling. And they're going to want to take their kids to the DreamWorks Minecraft movie. Yep. And they're going to. I mean, it's all going to keep. And by happening. then, Minecraft is just this gigantic thing. It already okay. is. And as they scale it up with new hardware and add new features, and by then, how many how many expansion packs? Will there be for Minecraft in like twenty years? Countless. Like it's mind blowing. Like there's a genera there's a generation of children for whom the name Steve will make them think of Minecraft forever. Yeah, you're right. Like that's what Steve is going to mean yeah. to these people. You're right. And we, we 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 sometimes I think as you know old we're old enough that we lose sight of that. But like there's a whole nother nostalgia game brewing. That we're going to see in 15 to 20 years. And I, I got to give Microsoft credit for seeing that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the foresight to buy Minecraft was pretty brilliant. Uh, the stand user, what's up? Uh, how do you feel about trailers that don't show gameplay? Okay with it. Yeah. I mean, as long it, as it's the first. It's the first, yeah. If it's the, the first announced and the trailer, last. Yeah, sure. Like, it, yeah, you get the first trailer is like, your, here's what the game is conceptually. Concept, yeah. And the last trailer is like, get hyped. And yeah. I'm fine with that. But, like, yeah, you got to show some gameplay for your second outing. Oh, yeah. Second trailer has to have gameplay in it. But that's usually what they do. Yeah, for, it's pretty it's pretty. I simple. mean, unless you don't have the budget, and then the first one shows gameplay. <laughs> right. Or if you're Mar Mar uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, in which case you probably shouldn't show gameplay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think we're okay as long as it bookends the marketing cycle. Anywhere in between, it starts to get a little funky. Maybe yeah. you throw a live-action thing in the middle there. I, did, I don't like the teaser. Th I don't like, like, the Metroid Prime 4 thing. Like, yeah, I, I think that's just the logo. Like, and... you got to have something to show. Me. something I, I, even if you just showed they do call them teaser trailers yeah but even if you just showed samus like turning to the camera in the in the suit like that i'm fine with that but like you got to show me something more than the logo design here's a good one x lord xerxes what are your thoughts on sony not allowing crossplay seeing as nintendo and microsoft are are doing it well i believe an, an this earlier, is for rocket league yeah an earlier question i think asked if we thought if sony not allowing crossplay was a dick move and i think that's a good way to put it yes <laughs> I, th I understand kind of why they're you know they're in the lead and they don't have to play nice, but it's a dick move. But it's kind of funny how yeah. Sony gets back in the saddle and suddenly all of a sudden they're back. Yeah, to where they're, they're back they were. to being yeah. like their yeah. jerky selves. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just it's so. I don't think it gains them anything. I mean, one thing I would that. say is you look at the big three platform holders. Sony has always been the most arrogant. Yeah, always. Like it's. But also, like, the fact that Nintendo's letting them do it, and Sony isn't, like, is insane. look. Because Nintendo's usually, Nintendo's like, super restrictive about, oh, oh, yeah. We're not going to give you the programming hooks to get in there. They're so paranoid. I mean, they won't even do voice chat. Oh, They're yeah. so paranoid, like... But they we'll put up Rocket League, and they're just like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. It's like, look, if Nintendo's doing it, you, Sony's got no excuse. Do it. There's no excuse. I, I, I'm shocked by this, to be honest with you. Um, and, like, we did, we've talked, I think we talked about this after maybe our Best of E3 awards. Mm -hmm. Somebody asked this question before, but, uh, and we brought up the fact that, you know, Sony's in the lead. It doesn't have to do this, but it just is such a bad look. Yeah. Like, it just makes you look like this pompous jerk. 
And it had built up so much goodwill with players mm. in the first couple years of the PlayStation 4's lose, life. Really? But it also makes you realize, you know, maybe some people don't know this. We do because we're jaded and we've been doing this <laughs> for a long time. But a lot of people have this way of romanticizing these platform holders and like, oh, I love Sony and Sony loves me. No, no, they don't. They really just love your money. And mm. they'll say whatever. And like a lot of companies, they'll say whatever they need to say to get you to buy it. You know, a lot of people... When they decided to buy a PS4 instead of an Xbox, they're like, oh, because Microsoft's being anti-consumer. And Sony's for the gamer. No, they're all anti-consumer. Well, also, like like we said, Nintendo is not your friend. Right. Sony is even less your friend. Really? No, you're absolutely right. Like, Reggie would probably help you if he found you on the road. Like, I don't know if Sony would. (laughs) Yeah, so... It sucks. I think it's really lame what Sony's doing, but at the same time, it does not surprise me all that much. Uh, here's one from Hippie2000. Here's more of a uh, outside gaming question. Do you guys have any pets? Uh, I have one cat. I have none. I used to have two until this year. Yeah. But uh, no, we got one. Yeah, he just recently had a cat pass away. My cat died years ago, and I've never got another one. I just... One, I was devastated by the cat dying. Yeah. And I hated myself. I'm like, why am I so bad in shape over my cat dying? It's so weird. I will probably get another cat later but yeah. like we're probably gonna move soon yeah. and i don't want to get another like i want to get a kitten and like then uproot it and put it somewhere else. Like, I'll, I'll wait but i do miss having my own cat i got used to uh not having a cat once i did i didn't want another one because then i like when i leave i don't have to worry about someone babysitting the cat or changing the litter box and yeah i, I just like animals too much i do too but uh I think the other part, too, is I'm avoiding being devastated again by the cat dying. That's valid. I mean, for (laughs) sure. That's just a subconscious thing where I'm like, I don't want to go through that again. So, yeah, no pets for me. Um, Erebus Jones, the disappointment in the lack of first-party support for Xbox One X is reasonable, but is it possible that being the best platform for uh, multi-format will be enough for some success, especially as 4K takes off? Good question. Um, we always get great questions, by the way. Probably, you guys are awesome. My guess would be no. Uh, mainly it's not because, enough. Well, maybe because the most powerful console almost never wins. Yeah. It's not about the power. It's about the price and the games and the experience. Like, and mostly, early on, mostly the price. Yeah. Um, and I think the price is high and the games aren't there and the experience is better but not great. And in the end... Uh, I think they're gonna lose, they're gonna bleed people to Sony because Sony is just like you know while they are not perfect they are the the lower priced has everything you want to play except maybe Crackdown and who cares um, option for everything else uh, that you that you would want third party wise or for a hundred bucks less you can get a Switch and play two of the best games of the year right so. Yeah, multi platform's not enough. Yeah, even if it's the best looking version of this multi platform game. And on top of that, like it would take a long, it take a while for word of mouth to kind of spread on the idea that the Xbox One X is that superior experience, and that's not going to get them the sales for the holiday season they need to come out on top or even that number two. I think they're, I think they're going to struggle for number two at this point because I think Nintendo's going to blow the doors off the Xbox One X. Um, Mitchell is alive, formerly Snowpiercer, uh, ran into him at E3 and had a conversation with him and one of his friends for a good while. It was great to meet up with a sifter in the real world. Uh, his question is, will the eminent release of Crash and Sane Trilogy, do you foresee it to be successful enough to warrant the return of the Bandicoot, maybe even Spyro, starring in his own non-Skylanders game? 
God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm inter- actually interested to see uh, what the sales in the Insane trilogy are going to be um, because uh, I don't know anyone who likes Crash. I've seen I don't it, really either. But I see a lot of hype for there it. There are fans. I see a lot of hype for it on Twitter and on Gaff. Um, so clearly there's a certain demographic that grew up at the right time that loves those games. So maybe, like, but like, it's a long, it's a big gulf between re- remake, because these are remakes, they're not remakes, yeah. these are full remakes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a big gulf between remake of classic games sold well enough to justify remake and sold well enough to start development on a brand new project. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to do the exact opposite. I think you might get a remaster <laughs> of the next three Crash games. You know, that whatever those were. Uh, I think it's going to do the exact Were there more? I, were there more? I don't even know. There were more games. They weren't all Sony exclusives, but after the first three, they went multi-platform, and there was, like, yeah. stuff on the GameCube. Like Universal, like, yeah. yeah. They, they, were, they were more, like, traditional 3D games, though. They weren't, like, yeah, they, run at the camera. But they've passed. I mean, various companies have passed Crash Bandicoot around like a, yeah. like a joint. I mean, yeah. it's just, like, it's not... I think the opposite is going to happen. I think what you're going to see is that people are going to buy and play this, and they're going to hate it. And they'll never make another Crash Bandicoot. I, I, I would like that to be true. <laughs> I, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I feel like people love these games inexplicably for no good reason. Uh, but uh, if you liked it when you were a kid, you're going to like it when you... I mean, it's going to be a nice trip down memory lane in a, in a better package. So I feel like... But I, my question is always for this... Are there really that many Crash fans out there? I mean, that, that care now? I mean, there were. I mean, you look at the press conference that, where they announced it, and people went wild. Yeah. I mean, and then, people, I mean, there's lots of people, oh, man, people that are excited People went it. wild for Shenmue 3, too, but it's like, how many Shenmue fans are there? I mean, there's like no, there's nobody. There's, there's, there's enough to get a Kickstarter off the ground, but like, I don't know if that game's going to sell anything. Uh, I bet Crash Remaster sells more than the uh, Shenmue 3. Yeah. <laughs> like, man, I don't know. Well, It'll be close. I think Crash will sell more. I think it'll be close. Uh, I'd, I'd say we should wager on it, but I don't know if we'll still be alive when that <laughs> happens. Uh, sub-level 28, is there any point in even getting a 4K console if you have a 1080p TV? Yeah, I mean... Did you not watch Microsoft's presentation? Microsoft, they spent they, a whole they 10 minutes. They told you about the thing. They told, I mean, I, seriously, for 10 minutes they yeah. focused on 1080p TV owners yeah. and why they should get Xbox One X. I mean, I, I, mean, I have a 1080p TV. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of plans to get a 4K TV anytime soon because uh, movie content doesn't really... The Ultra HD stuff is mainly a scam. Right. Uh, and it clear even with for the X, even with the expo yeah, eventually uh, presumably in years years from now they'll start to, maybe again even the Star Wars movies are only mastered in 2K at this point mm-hmm. um, but video games are one of the few places where 4K is truly 4K if you're doing it at full 4K these systems are not even the Xbox One X is not really you know it's still using checkerboard in places according to Digital Foundry um, however when you go up to that kind of dynamic resol- dynamic 4K thing. Uh, when you downsample that to a 1080p signal, it looks amazing. It really does, yeah. Um, it makes a difference. Yeah. I would say you almost get a better experience downsampling to 1080p than you do trying to run it at 4K. Because 4K is going to have It'll depend some on the shakiness game, there, depending on the game. But like in general, like I mean, I have Hori- you know, Horizons running, running on my, my Pro, and it looks great on 1080p. It doesn't have HDR uh, because it's a plasma, an old plasma. 
But uh, I think I think it's, if you have the money and the budget to do it, and you care about that kind of image quality, I think you will notice a difference. For yeah. Sure. To answer your question, yes, it's yeah. worth. I mean, it is worth it to get a 4K console if you only have a 1080p TV. It will. You'll definitely see the difference. All right. Let's answer one more here before we call it a day. Do you have one queued up by any chance? Mm. I'll take that as a no. Mm. It, it turned into lots like of people. TV in talk. The, it also turned into lots of people who have had pets pass away. Mm. And uh, our condolences to all you guys. We know it's tough, and so yeah, it's, it was surprising to me how devastated I was when my cat died. I think the thing about pets is that they never do anything mean to you. Right. I mean, unless they're playing and scratch you or whatever. But like humans intentionally do mean stuff to other people. <laughs> pets are just like, bro, feed me. <laughs> and give me a place to use the bathroom and I, I'm like 100% yeah. loyal and I think that is why it's so hard sometimes for pets because they, mm -hmm. they're just like your best friends and they have no they really when you talk about like um, love that really has no boundaries or conditions unconditional love like pets give you that more oh, yeah. than a human ever will so it's also hard I think it's hard to commiserate about that with in a sense because like if you if someone if a person dies you have maybe a funeral you yeah, everybody knew them they you talk yeah. about stuff but usually your pet is like special to you and everyone else yeah. sort of knows it exists yep. and that makes it hard you know you're kind of the, the custodian of all that and it's that's that's kind of an emotional burden to have it is yes and you also feel you're silly. the only one who really knows how awesome your dog was you're right yeah and it's also weird because you, it's like you want to talk to someone about it but you know they don't care mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like you don't get that comfort from other people either when your pet dies that you do when a, when a person passes so uh, there was one here, and I scrolled past it. Oh, what is your uh, favorite E3 moment of all time? Of all time? Um, I think that is probably the, uh, the Twilight Princess trailer, when everybody went completely nuts. Uh, Nintendo's press conference 2004. Yeah. Um... In terms of like presenting of content, that the 2004 press conference where they everybody went crazy. I was I was there. Stand, I was standing room only. I was standing yeah. in the middle aisle, and I and they they should. And well, I still it, remember that room. Yeah, it was like so ghetto the setup oh, too. Yeah. It was like they had wires this everywhere, stage, like, wires everywhere. These two almost like just projector screens on the side. Yeah, it was like, it, that were like 60 <laughs> inches. Like I was like, oh, I can't see. What yeah, I'm the doing. room was like. Just this flat room, like yeah. the stage was hardly elevated. It was just, it was, it it was, was kind of ghetto. It was, it was, a, it was a transitional period. I hate to period. use that phrase. It was a transitional, transitional period. period yeah. Three years earlier, they were in a hundred seat hotel, like meeting room under a under a basement. Right. So it was like yeah. it, it advanced. Yeah. But I remember like Reggie did the one more thing thing, and then the the thing came up, and I turned to my friend who was with me, and I said, "Holy shit, they did it." Yeah. And then the the the. You know, he run, rides because I knew what it was as soon as I saw it. And the horse rode out, and everybody went crazy. There was a guy like four seats over crying <laughs> on the floor. I mean, it was it was like it was madness. Well, that's where that madness. meme comes from. That shows like all the IGN sixty four guys, yes. like, like this, that. like yeah. you've seen it all over the internet. So that content, was from that moment, content yeah. wise, it's that. Personally, it is two thousand five when we went live. We did live coverage for the first time yep. after years and years of, of wishing and, and asking yeah. and wanting and saying, please, we need to do this. And we finally did it. And we kind of invented how you cover E3 now. Live, Like yeah. the, de the demos on stage and coming to the... When we first said that, I remember the PR people, you want us to 
take the game to you like, and you wanna play it. Play it in front of people. Yeah. Like, it was like, yeah. it was like it was like we were asking them to like strip and r- like roll in spiders. And a lot of them would. No, someone wouldn't. And then like I think Capcom came out. Like some, yeah. they were like, and Microsoft did, and like there was like. Some brave souls came out and like and plowed the road. Now that's just how and it the is. next year, everybody lined up for it, and yeah. now it's just how you do it. Yeah. And it was, uh, and like I remember wrapping those three or four days that we did, and like I had never, I have never felt like that's like top three professional gratitude, you know, gratification moments. I just yeah. felt like we'd done something really good yeah. that we had that lived up to how good we were at what we did. Oh, it came out great. Yeah. Um, and the ratings were great, which yep. was something that was a big deal back then. People actually watched. We weren't sure that yeah. was going to happen. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, and I felt good because it was, you know, because that was before streaming and before even really YouTube was functional yeah and it was a it was a time i felt like we brought what e3 was home to people that couldn't go for the first time in a really tangible way and that felt really good so that, those are my two best e3 moments as a gamer and as a producer yeah my favorite uh e3 moment probably the first time i went to e3 i mean you just can't replicate the feeling of walking mm-hmm. in the door for the first time and it was in atlanta and I hadn't really traveled a lot of places at that point in my life, so I was like kind of nervous. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to Atlanta, and like I'm not, I'm going by myself, and and I'm walking through the doors for the first time, drenched in sweat because it was like a hundred and <laughs> some degrees there, and then just getting freeze dried by the air conditioning, and then <laughs> looking up and just seeing the games, mm-hmm. and then all the people that I met, like because there was other people back then. E3 was like it had been, I think I missed like the first year or maybe two. I didn't go to it when it was a part of CES. And then yeah, when it so moved started to... in the first E3 was 95. Yeah, and I went to Atlanta in 98, so I missed a couple there before mm-hmm. I finally went. And um, I ran into a guy a while ago who who was in the room when the E3 95 Sega and Sony press conference because that was back oh, when wow. all the press announcements right. were in the same room right, one after right. the other. <laughs> and Sega got up and like showed the Saturn and said, "Surprise! It's out right now in stores." And I was like, "What? It's like 500? It's was I think yeah. it's 499 dollars." And the Sony guy just gets up and goes three hundred ninety nine dollars. <laughs> that yeah. was it, and that, and that was the end of it. That was and all yeah. and instantly you saw everything had changed. Yeah, the entire industry had changed. Yep, and uh, so that's my favorite moment. Just the first time I ever walked onto mm-hmm. an E three show floor, and this was after it had splintered off from CES and was its own thing. Uh, so that's like my favorite memory of my favorite working memory. Obviously, the first time we did E three live. I mean, that's really hard mm-hmm. to beat. But I think when I left G4 and went to GT, and it was just me, and then I had to hire this whole staff of people uh, to cover games, not just generally, but to also handle E3. And then we had to bring more people in for E3. I think that first E3 at GT, where our site just literally just exploded. Like, just the traffic that we did. And, you know, as a new hire at that point, my boss, like, was freaking out. He was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe what you've done in, like, a couple because I started in March mm-hmm. and so I had March April May three months to get everything to hire all these people and to set up all the processes and to brief all our video editors on how it was going to work and to convince people that they were going to work all night and that's just the way it was like you know to us that's the way it was but you go to a new company and they're just like what you're mm-hmm. expecting me to work like 12-hour shifts, and when I leave, someone else is coming and working it? No. And I'm like, yes, this is how it's going to go, and it's going to be huge, and it's going to be a major success. And it all happened and worked. And I remember 
my boss was just beside himself. Like the second day when the traffic was just crushing and I just always remember his face. He was just filled with glee and he gave me a high five so hard that it like hurt for like a day. Like, I could feel it in my hand for like a day. And so for me personally, like having to kind of strike out from you guys and take what we had all learned together at G4 and then try to replicate it somewhere else with people who had never done it and were reluctant to do it. And then having the big payoff of like by the second day, like I remember Sega called and we had shot a walkthrough for I think Sonic 2006 off screen. And I remember my boss was somehow Sega had called our called Viacom's sales team and said, hey, you know, if you don't pull that down, like we're going to like stop. We're not going to run our ads with you on MTV or whatever. And my boss was over the moon over that because we had just it was just like this new acquisition. And to know that we had made such a stir that mm. Sega cared so much that we were running this stuff that they would call Viacom corporate and be like, hey, we have this contract with you guys and this website is running our stuff like he did not care because he came. He's like, "Oh, Sega, Sega." And I was like, "Oh no, I'm so sorry." He's like, "Oh, I don't give a crap. Like that's freaking <laughs> awesome." Like so He's ahead of his time. Yeah. So that E3, uh, 2006 E3, I think is probably the best uh, moment of my professional career. So, other than my time working at G4 was the best time of my career in general, though. Mm. Um, and a lot of the people I was friends with, I'm still with friends with from G4. Yeah, Whereas well, honestly, a lot of the people period. from GT. I don't talk to you that much. Yeah, it was, but it's like you know, we we forged we forged the new trail and and some of that stuff, some of the, especially the E three early live production, and uh, and even the even the, the the fast turnaround stuff from two thousand three and two thousand four, um, we really um, it's probably the closest we'll ever get to go through, going through combat. Yeah, in some cases, <laughs> like, it's like, I don't like to make those analogies, no. but. But like I have family members in the military, but so like I try to there stay was away from like, it, but, it, but it's that same kind of like. Bond, I get what you're saying. It's that same kind of bond where like yeah. you, you've been through something you can't explain to somebody else. They, they'll never get it. There, yeah, they never get it. So, so. Uh, I think, uh, and and I think it's it's maybe been different. a good life. It's maybe yeah. <laughs> it's also maybe different in the sense yeah. that like like you say, you built GT out of your know-how, whereas. We all figured that all out together right. at G4 and at Tech. So that's TV. really what GT was. It was yeah. just an extension of what I learned with all you guys. Yeah. Uh, us all trying things and failing, figuring out what actually works. And I just took it and just mm -hmm. replicated it with a different. And that group happened of people. a lot with uh, with you know people that would were, were there and that and then they take it elsewhere and bring it. Yeah. I think you were the most successful at doing that by far. But um, like it, you know, what, a lot of a lot of the stuff you see now and how coverage is done comes from people who were there and no, you're right. went out and brought it brought it elsewhere. It took just like you see NFL brought the fire ahead. No, it's true. It's uh, it's kind of like an NFL coaching trees that you see. Mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, there was this old coach, and then he had all these assistant coaches, and it just filters on down to where you have like yep. this group of people who are all kind of doing this the same thing. Yeah. So. And I will say that even though the crowding was annoying this year. One of the nice things was to see, like on Tuesday, it was to see so many people having that walk into E3 at the, for the first yeah. time moment, and and like just the everybody looking around at all. You know, it's, it's that moment. It's like they've heard, seen it on television. Yeah, you never. Yeah, you know, and then like for me, I mean, I, I, I think '99. Yeah, '99 was my first one. Like I'd never seen. Yeah, I'd seen photos, but I'd never yeah. seen video of it. And I walk in, it's and it's just, just mind like, you don't know. It's like time, you yeah. walk into this thing. This you have no idea. I've never been to LA Convention Center before at that point. Yeah. It's gigantic. I've never seen this much gaming stuff in one place ever in my life. And it's like, wow, everywhere I look, there's something I care about. 
Yep. It's a new experience. It's great. Okay, before we go, we have one thing to take care of. We have people who donated to Sifted during E3. And uh, look, a lot of these people were already elite, people who had already kind of donated over the threshold to get their green avatar uh, and their green backgrounds on their comments. But uh, during E3, we really appreciate the people who donate money because we are busting our butts. And some of these people who donated actually sent me private messages saying, hey, this is just because of what you guys are doing at E3. We know you're working really hard. So some of the people that we're going to show right now are already sifted elite, but they did donate more money during E3. And I want to make sure that I thank them. So we got sub-level 28, the Surly Mexican, Casuality, Thiesh. Otaps, who's on the chat. Thank you, brother. Fun Boy and Brave India. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it very much. I'll never stop appreciating uh, all the things the subscribers do for us and uh, all the donations that you guys have given us. You guys are the best. So that's it. I think we finally put the last cap on E3. I don't think we'll talk about mm -hmm. it again. Um, for next week's show. In fact, we'll have a guest host next week. Matt yes. will be out for the next two weeks. Mm -hmm. Matt will be out. So we'll have guest hosts for the next two weeks on Game Face. Should be the same day and time provided uh, they can get here. That actually, now that I think about it, might be an issue. Game Face might not be at 1 o'clock on Friday next week. Uh, depends on who mm -hmm. our special guest, uh, if he can uh, make it here with his work responsibilities and other stuff. So, Matt, have a good vacation. You're heading up north mm -hmm. to be with the family for a little bit. Yep. First time in a long time. I can't remember the last time I took a vacation, but it's going to happen yeah. soon, I think. I keep saying that. But uh, So we will have a guest host in the next couple weeks. Stay tuned on the site and on our Twitter feed to find out when the next episode will be. But yeah, I think this is the last time we're going to talk about E3. I think we've mm -mm. we've milked that sucker for all it's worth. Another great E3. Yeah. Uh, unless, unless you want to talk about it with your guests who have a different perspective. Yeah, that might be possible. It all depends on the topics, man. We had to work to get the show together today, so we'll see what happens. But much love to all you guys. Thanks for all your support during E3. Thanks for all the great questions on the chat. We had a, it seems like we had a lot of people in chat today, which is excellent. And uh, we really appreciate your support. Everyone have a great weekend. Game Face is up and out.